You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network, and you are listening in right again to another Flashback Friday episode where we retrace our roots, go back to our Survivor Oz days, and play you a classic interview or episode from the vault of Survivor Oz. In the case of this week, it is an interview, and you voted, you decided between Earl Cole, the winner, of Survivor Fiji, and Judd Fabio Bertza, the winner of Survivor Nicaragua. And as you can probably tell by the title of this episode, you chose Earl Cole, winner of Survivor Fiji. Pretty one-sided vote, this one. Probably the most one-sided vote we've had. And in all honesty, this is one of my favourite winner interviews that I ever did. I think that this really is a solid interview to explain how somebody won Survivor. I think we did a couple of these where basically the winners gave a very good insight as to how they got from point A to point B and walked away a millionaire. And if I had to choose one that explained it the best, it to me would be Earl. And you're about to hear that. Gave a great insight into his game in Fiji and a lot just about his character and the lead-up to the game, after the game, and everything else. And I know a lot of fans out there are disappointed not to see him on next year's all-winners season. Obviously, there's uh, believed to be reasons behind that, that he just became a father again, couldn't get away, so therefore he declined the opportunity. But he's a, he's a man who's obviously been on the radar a couple of times for CBS to bring back. So a lot of Earl fans like myself are still hopeful that we will see him play again because he definitely is, in my eyes at least, a very underrated winner of Survivor and a fantastic player of the game. You're going to listen to this right now, our Flashback Friday Classic Vault Survivor Oz interview with winner of Survivor Fiji, Earl Cole. Earl Cole competed on the 14th season of Fiji, where he outwitted, outlasted and outplayed 18 other people to be declared the sole survivor and walk away with the million dollar prize. Through a strong social game, laying low and always maintaining a sense of control, Earl wound up at the end where he created history by being the first ever winner in the history of Survivor to win with a unanimous vote at the final Tribal Council. I spoke to Earl about the extraordinary way he found himself on the show and just how little time he had to prepare, revealing what the secret is to winning Survivor, as well as getting a phone call from Jeff Probst and having no idea who he was, and revealing some interesting behind-the-scenes information from his time on Exile Island. Earl, huge pleasure to have you here on Survivor Oz. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you very much for having me. It's a massive pleasure because you are the 12th person from Fiji, the 16th different winner that we've had out of all the Survivor contestants to be on this show. And... uh, it's been a... It's, purse, Fiji? Yes, we've talked to a few people from your season. <laughs> oh, my God, I am so late. Okay, I'm going to... I'm actually, like, really just knock it out of the park with this interview. Go ahead. <laughs> no pressure at all now that you say that. Uh, I'm going to come up with some better questions, I feel now. <laughs> Uh, I'll give you some great answers. Well, uh, I mean, it's been nearly seven years, actually, approaching seven years uh, since it aired. It's been seven years since you filmed the season. I mean, it must must be crazy to think how quickly that that has gone by. Yeah, it goes by pretty... Well, I'll say it goes by fast when you kind of disconnect yourself from just being really caught up in the survival world. Uh, Because it can be really long years for some people, like... I'll say the perspective is different for when you win and when you don't win. Because I've noticed people I've been around, when you don't win, you think about it a lot. Like, what mistakes I, I made. Like, I wish I could had a chance to play it again. I'd do this over and I'd do this different. I think that wears, wears on you for years. And I can understand that. So for me, I was just like, hey, that was fun. That was great. Had a great time. 
I got to get on with my life. Mm. Yeah, it's very different for the winners, uh, obviously. And yeah, we we have a lot of um, the contestants on the show who um, you know mention the things that they think about. We often bring up what we say the what if scenario, Earl, uh, which is great. But uh, for you, there are no what if scenarios. You walked away a millionaire, so you know what do you need to think about them? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you put it like like that, it, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, you you do think about it from time. I mean, it was a great experience, and I made great friends from the show, and. It connects all, you know, all the seasons are kind of connected together. You all have that common experience. So um, it, it's just something you need to take with you, I think, for forever. Even when Survivor is gone, you know, and no longer on the air, you know, hope it stays on for a little while longer. But I think all of us will always still be connected some kind of way, even like 10 years from now. Like, oh, dude, remember that time when we freaking were on that show and did that <laughs> thing? Like, you know, you'll be telling your grandkids that, like, what's this show? Like, you know, so that, that that's the kind of thing I really cherish about uh, being on Survivor. Well, we're finding that a lot recently because um, several seasons are celebrating their 10th anniversary. It was um, Pearl Islands did it recently. So a lot of, um, a lot of the contestants are sort of uh, putting memories out there on Facebook. Uh, you know, they're talking about it a little bit more more um, because, you know, it, it's sometimes hard to believe that Survivor, you know, it's been going around for 13 years. Next year will be 14 years it's been going on, which is, it's a very long time for a TV show to keep lasting like that. Yeah, it is. But, you know, they have, it's such a unique concept and it's so intriguing, you know, each season. You know, I, and I understand the position of the producers. It's pretty difficult to maintain this Survivor theme. So people get mad at, oh, I'm tired of seeing return players or I'm tired of this. Like, you know how difficult it is to have 27 seasons of anything? It's hard to have seven seasons and be, and be creative in seven seasons, but to do that for 27 seasons, you know, kudos to producers and CBS for at least trying something new all the time. Whether it works or not, uh, who knows? Mm. It depends on the season, really. Now, um, reading a lot, and I think it's fairly well known that you were only picked a couple of days before going out to play the game, and I also believe that you hadn't really seen much of Survivor. I mean, how were you actually approached to be on it, and what made you decide to say, yep, I'll go out and play Survivor? Okay, you want the long version or the short version? Look, whatever one you want to tell. The long version's always uh, probably a bit more entertaining. There could be more stuff told there. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I'll, well, I'll tell you exactly how it all happened. So... I was actually on a date uh, with a young lady, and we were at a restaurant. And you know, she's a, she's a very tall, striking, beautiful woman. We walk in, we sit down at this restaurant, and one of the casting directors of Survivor happened to be there and saw her and I together on this date and approached us. If you know, I mean, it was Lynn Stillman. So uh, she uh, saw she saw uh, my girlfriend at the time, and. Um, asked us if we wanted to do Amazing Race. It was just kind of random. Like, hey, you guys are like a great couple. How long have you been dating? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, hey, you know, this is actually like our third or fourth date. And um, she asked us to do Amazing Race. And the girl said no. She said, no, oh, I don't think I have time to do a show like that. Because she is a pharmacist. And she just didn't have time, you know, do her career or profession, you know, to lead patients like that. She just didn't see herself doing it. And so I was like, ah, well, there you go. And what's funny is that was actually my second time being approached by a casting director for Amazing Race. My girlfriend before that, somebody from casting approached us at a gas station. <laughs> I'll say back in 2004. Wow. I got approached at a, at a gas station about it. And we actually kind of went through the process. We didn't make it. And she had to drop out as well because, again, she was a doctor and she just couldn't get approvals to do it. <laughs> So, same thing happened again, another girl in the health field. 
years later. <laughs> and I get asked, and she couldn't do it. And a week later, she called and said, you know, a spot opened up on Survivor. Uh, you kind of fit what we would like. Are you interested in that? And I was like, Survivor? Like, you mean that show on the island? <laughs> I literally had never seen it. You know, everyone's heard of it because it's kind of part of pop culture. You know, everybody knows about the first season and Richard Hatch, you know. I knew that much. And uh, I was on my way to work, and I was like, uh, I'm not sure about that. And I said, well, where is it going to be at? She said, Fiji. Fiji. I said, I'm in. <laughs> I'm thinking like, oh, this great exotic place going, you know, having fun. And I said, well, when do I have to go? And she was basically said, tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> she said, you would have to do every interview in one day, take every test in one day, because we need somebody right now. And so I told my boss, like, hey, I have this opportunity on this show. Um, what do you think? And um, she was like... Uh, I don't think you should do something like that. We're in the middle of a big campaign because I was an advertising executive at the time and my uh, client was Honda. And we were going through all these big commercial shoots. So I don't think there's time for that. And I said, oh, I don't know. I, I talked to a few people. And uh, so I took it up to the CEO and I asked him. And he said, hey, uh, I have this opportunity to show Survivor. He said, oh, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You should do it. I said, really? He said, yeah, you should do it. But you better win. <laughs> He said, and I will keep, you can keep your job, everything. You can take a leave of absence. I think it would be really cool. Go do it. And so that's how it kind of started. So that next day I took all the tests, you know, went through everything, got all my shots, uh, met with different CBS executives, all that stuff. And the funny thing is, like I said, I'm sorry I'm giving you this long version. Oh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Okay. <laughs> Jeff Probst called me when I was at work, and I didn't even know who Jeff Probst was. <laughs> like, and he's like, hey, this is Jeff. I was like, hey, how you doing, Jeff? <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, we're looking forward to it. You have, you know, you come in on the show, and you know, thank you for his laugh and you know. I was like, yeah, cool. Like, I literally did not know who he was. I mean, of course, you know, you when you, when you see him, but I didn't know that was his name. Yeah, because you know, I don't want people to like look down on me. Like, oh, he wasn't a fan. Like. It, it doesn't even matter. You know, you become a fan once you understand. Like, I just didn't watch a lot of reality TV in general, so that was it. But I think that made it better because I went in without any strategy, any game plan whatsoever because I had no idea what I was getting into. Mm. So it was kind of like playing Survivor Season 1. Yeah. Like, that, like I didn't have a clue. I didn't even know the rules. <laughs> there's, there's not so, that yeah, many of them. That's how I ended on the show. That's amazing. Uh, that really is. And uh, I mean, exactly as you said, it's basically like being on the first season because generally I've found with a lot of contestants who are, say, recruited and maybe haven't watched the show, they've at least got time to grab a couple of the seasons and maybe watch them through and get an idea of what to expect. But you've got one day and it's focused on testing everything. So bang, you're out there and it's all completely new. It must, it's just a unique experience experience 14 seasons into a show like that yeah i mean i think that that's a double-edged sword like having a lot of knowledge about other people's gameplay when having other seasons can kind of you know weigh you down when you try to like emulate other people or you try to do different things and at the same time not having any knowledge you're kind of like exposed to like other people's gameplay and not much so you got to really have that careful balance of you know knowing just enough but not too much to where you're able to be creative when you're out there and you can adapt more, or you don't think like 
oh, this would be a big move or a little move. Like, you don't even know what, what's what, you know? Because to be honest, I didn't even know what an alliance was. Like, I didn't even know what that was. And I don't want to sound foolish or anything, but that's really just game talk. Like, if you're not used to hearing that kind of terminology, you know, like, I mean, I, mean, I, I learned, I knew what challenges were and things like that, but this whole alliance thing, I, didn't even, I hadn't heard it until I actually got on the island. Because I only saw one episode before, um, you know, because what happens, you know, they, they sequester you, uh, actually here where I live in Santa Monica at, at a hotel uh, before you take off to fly to wherever. And I was in the hotel room and they gave me like one episode of Survivor Cook Islands. And I was like, oh, okay, wow. This is a very colorful show. I was like, okay, this is interesting. And, but I didn't know who won. I didn't know anything. I didn't know who was doing what. I just saw someone put it out and I said, oh, okay, I see how this works. And that was it. That was the extent of my knowledge of Survivor. Wow. I mean, I, I speaking to a lot of the Borneo contestants, um, a lot of them went in assuming the game was going to mainly be about the survival aspect, living off the land, and it obviously turned into the strategic game that it is. Is that kind of something that you went in thinking it was more about the survival? Did you kind of get an idea that it was about strategy, given you'd only seen one episode? Uh, I, I didn't know the the importance of the social aspect or the survival. I didn't know the importance of anything. I thought it was more the challenges mm-hmm. were the most important thing because they say, oh, you know, you're athletic, so you'll do well. Or you're this. Like, oh, I said, really? Like, you know, because I think Lynn's uh, Spillman tells everyone, hey, I think you'll win. <laughs> like, because she gave me her whole speech. Like, <laughs> you know, she said, hey, I think you'll probably win. I said, oh, okay. And so I went in there believing that. Mm-hmm. Hey, I might win the game. And it would you know, not knowing how hard it was and how much luck plays such a major part. Luck is such a big part, along with strategic play. But you definitely have to put yourself in the right position to where the odds are in your favor. Mm-hmm. But no one is that great to where you defy all love, defy all odds at, at all times. Like it's just it's not set up that way. How- so to answer your question, I I didn't know. Uh, what was going to be the most important part of it. So I kind of went in just kind of with a blank slate and learned from other people and just pretty much was very observant on what was happening. How long would you say it took you um, to kind of understand that whole thing that we were just talking about? So maybe, you know, um, a couple of days into grasp with social aspect and everything else that, that comes along with Survivor. I'll say I started putting my brain around it before the game started because we were there for maybe three or four days in Fiji in some remote area where we weren't allowed to talk to each other, you know, all, all that stuff. We were like in tent. And we would just eat three meals a day and, uh, could, you know, you'd size up your competition. You had no idea who was what and what they were there for. Sometimes you couldn't even tell the producers from who was actually a contestant. And so you just, know, you just weren't able to talk to anyone. And so I started thinking about how would this game work? You know, what would be this? You know, what would be that? I was just trying to figure it out on my own will be the most important thing. And then when the game began, I started figuring it out. I said, okay, this is really a social game. You know, it's just get people to like you, you know, get people to trust you. And I was already pretty good at that, you know, you know, just like, you know, for what I do for a living and just, you know, being, you know, the type of person I am, I was always pretty friendly and nice to people and used to delegating and, you know, managing people. So I understood that part. And so, each day I just started learning more and more how it works. So I, I decided to just, you know, kind of be like, I, I let everybody else do what they do. I knew, I figured it didn't matter in the beginning of the game because, I mean, it just took, like, common sense. I knew, like, okay, me being one of the bigger, stronger guys, 
they're not going to get rid of me. I wouldn't think it wouldn't make sense, you know, if, if we want to win challenges. So I was never really worried. But, and so I just started learning from that because I was never worried the whole time. I said, if I just, you know, make sure I'm a valuable person, like I would always hunt, I would always bring food, I'd always fish, I was always getting fired. I was always working my butt off <laughs> every day to make sure I added value to the camp. Mm. And there's a lot of lot of twists um, early on in Micronesia. Uh, sorry, uh, Fiji. I'm getting ahead of myself. Wrong season, Ben. Um, and of course, uh, it was sort of thrown on its head a little bit when um, Melissa Winolti quit um, as the just before the season started. I mean, did you see any of this? Did you see the situation? When were you guys informed that she, she'd left, and it was down to that? Um, I mean, I, I saw that there were there were twenty of us at the beginning, and I, I saw that um, I, I I knew that the the season before, they divided the tries up by race. And I wasn't sure they were doing that again, but I saw, like, an equal amount of different ethnicities. So it's like, oh, okay, they're making this kind of just even fair like that. Like, it's just very diverse. And then when we actually, because what happens in the middle of the night, they're basically like, okay, everybody, it's time to go. We're about to start the game. It's like, whoa, like, out of nowhere. And we on this truck in the middle of the night, and then, you know, you go in the middle of the night, I'll say it was about, 4 a.m. when this happened. And then uh, the light starts to come, and then you just kind of see everybody then because we couldn't talk. And then we get on this boat, and I said, oh, that one girl is missing. I wonder what happened to her. I said, maybe we're going to see her on the island. That's all I thought. I'm going to see her on the island. And then when we finally touched base on the island, um, she wasn't there. And we didn't miss a beat. We just kept going. It didn't matter <laughs> like, whether she was there or not. Like, no one even thought about it or even discussed it. Mm. One less person to oh, beat. One girl? Like, yeah, I remember seeing her, but who knows? <laughs> it's one less person to beat, so what does it matter? She's gone? Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's one tribal council we don't have to go to. <laughs> uh, with, the, uh, with the tribes obviously living on the beach all together at the start, who were some of the people that you were drawn to? Maybe some more people that we didn't get to see you working with on screen. Um, I'll say people that I originally talked to. Anthony was one person. I talked to Rocky, uh, Gary, which they call him Papa's Earth. Um, I think I talked to Yao Man a little bit. I, I think I kind of like had at least a sentence or two said to each person. Um, but I had the biggest conversation <clears throat> probably with Dreams. And a lot of people don't know that. People don't know the big the game started before anybody even knew that. I set up that alliance day one. No one knew this happened because everyone was sleeping. Him and I talked about this in the middle of the night in the rain. Like, so I don't even know if there was a camera there because it was literally pouring rain. And we talked in the rain about what to do and what do we think about this person and that person. So I had that alliance set up with Dreams from day one that no one knew about. Mm. We we had um, Dreams on not too long ago, probably a couple of months now. But um, I think the thing that surprised me a lot with Dreams based on the edit he got is that he, he kind of grasped the idea of strategy more than maybe some people realize. And it was a great interview with him. And I think I definitely learned a lot about your season and, and some of the behind the scenes things that happened. And a, a lot of our listeners have said that. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that I mean, that's part of the reason when you're talking with him, that's drawn you into into working with the guy for as long as you actually did. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, well the thing about Dreams was <laughs> he made his presence known pretty early on. Like, he annoyed a lot of people. <laughs> you know, this thing, anytime he saw anyone talking, he would interrupt them and say, who's talking about Dreams? <laughs> he would always say that. 
he might talk about dreams. Who talking about me? <laughs> like literally, he would break up every conversation, <laughs> thinking that somebody was strategizing against him. And it was it was very you know comical. It, it made us laugh. But I I, I said, wow, this guy's a risk taker with this. I said, I'm going to talk to him a little bit more because him and Rocky got into this big huge arc, argument. I think they showed it in episode one. They were just out talking each other, yelling at each other, and it was just it was just ridiculous. It was driving everybody nuts. And uh, but I took that opportunity. That's when I started talking to James. And he definitely he had always been a fan of Survivor, so he saw every episode. So he understood the gameplay, the strategy. So he understood about breaking up people, talking to each other. You know, always making his presence known. He was always doing that. And, you know, I saw that in him. And so I talked about the game and you know how it works and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so I definitely give him more credit than other people do. And I have, I know everything that happened at the end and in the middle more than, of course, what you see on TV. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's why we love these interviews, Earl, because we find out some of these things that, uh, you know, the edit doesn't show sort of um, yeah. a- along the way. I mean, the person that you were obviously drawn to very early as well when uh, the tribes are separated and you're on uh, Ravu was Yao Man. Uh, you know, what what was the reason between, uh, you know, working with Yao Man? Was he just somebody that you thought would be great to actually uh, align with? Yeah, I mean, you know, my view on um, Survivor and the people that were there, you know, a lot of people get drawn to, like, the athletic guys or the alpha males or the strong woman or, or things like that, somebody that are the, the best-looking people. And I just didn't look at it like that. You know, I, I looked at it like kind of like mathematically. I said, well, everyone has an equal vote here, so you should just find the most loyal people or the people that you can help the most that will help you in return. So that's kind of how I was looking at it. And they wanted to get rid of Yao Man, I think, second. And I was like, no, 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 no. We can't get rid of that guy. Let's just hold on to him. He's no trouble. You know, and I, I kind of like played it like that. So I made sure they didn't vote him out because I had Yao Man on my side at that point because I liked having conversations with him. Him and I would talk about science. We talked about, you know, movies. Um, I mean, we talked about different things, you know. I, I, him and I just had, like, to talk about intellectual things. So we did that a lot. And so that's what we just had in common, just discussing things like that. And I, I, I liked him, and I, I knew I could trust him. And I knew that he felt like he can probably lean on me as well, you know, because I was considered, you know, like, oh, okay, here we had this athletic guy too. And, and I also learned that it's not even about being athletic. Like, the, the more days I was there, the more I realized, like, this is truly just about people. It's just a people game. How to play people. And that's how I, uh, you know, me and Yao Man ended up having this long alliance. He started, he proved himself to me that he's loyal, and I proved myself to him. I'm like, hey, let's just take this as far as we can go. Because no one would ever even suspect that these two guys, <laughs> you know, me and him, would have this strong alliance like that. Like, we were like, everybody would say, like, we're like rush hour. It's like, <laughs> yeah, Jackie Chan and... You know, Chris Tucker. Like, <laughs> yeah, call it what you want, but it worked. Yeah, very much so, and it was great to see because Yao Man obviously went on to be hugely popular out of the show. I mean, returned again in um, Micronesia and uh, got very close close to the end. Um, and I, I've actually had the pleasure, Earl, of I can say meeting Yao Man, one of only the two Survivor contestants I've met in person, and uh, very very nice man. And it was a pleasure to meet him. Yeah. See, if I if you had this. Uh, show, you know, I came to Australia, yeah. and I met a lot of people when I was in Australia. See, I could have met you as well. You could have. Uh... That was my purpose of going to Australia. <laughs> Did you? So this was after Survivor when you when you came out here. Yeah, after Survivor, um, I went to Australia 
because I wanted to have a different experience in Fiji. And um, I said, you know what? I had such a terrible experience being on the show. I mean, it's fun being on the show, but anybody who tells you, oh, it's fun, it's not fun being on Survivor. You know, it, it's thrilling, but it's really hard. Like, don't even get it twisted. It's really a hard show. No one wants to starve. There's nothing fun about starving. It's like, it's not fun being dehydrated. It's not fun being paranoid every single day or being attacked by mosquitoes every single moment. Like, none of that stuff is fun. It's fun to win. You know, that's fun. It's fun when you finally get a reward. That's great. But, you know, overall, it's still a hard game. And I said, you know what? I want to have a different experience in Fiji. So I flew back to Fiji. And I want to do the whole resort and see what it was like. You know, get a massage. You know, do this, these things, you know. And I went to Australia as well because I think it was airing different. It was just going to air in Australia. I think something like that. Yeah, or, yeah. We used to be I, a bit behind. We're, we're sort of actually very fast-tracked now. But, yeah, I remember around Fiji, actually, we uh, were quite a few months behind that season. I think, I think that's what it was. And I, my publicist at the time was talking to, I think, OK Magazine or and Woman Magazine you guys had there? Women's Weekly or Woman's Day, one of those ones? It was some magazine, and they had this big press conference for me there. And I was on this show called The Carrie Ann Show. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I went, yeah, I went and did that show. And I think I was, it was basically I won here in the United States, and I flew to Australia for my win there as well. Wow, so that's, it was like, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I said, you know what? I don't know if any winners ever did this. Well, so, the only one I remember, I, I remember they, they brought Richard Hatch out here after he'd won for a bit of a tour. I mean, you know, we did things like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and a lot of these other shows, and he was even being scouted to potentially host our, our local version of it, but it never never worked out. But I, I can't remember um, off the top of my head. The only other ones I know of that came out here and sort of did a media tour was um, Ethan and Jenna came out here uh, and did a few interviews on TV. But other than that, it's sort of just been for, like, Comic-Con events and, um, you know, uh, tour guides and that. They bring out a Survivor every now and then. Oh, no, this was totally different. You know, um, we had a plan to just do something different. Mm. Like, we timed where that final episode was going to air while I was there in Australia. That's so that's why I just really won again and did a carry-on show and had this big press conference with all these magazines. You know, and I got to tour the city. It was fantastic. I mean, I loved Australia. So fantastic and wonderful people. Had a great time. Um, yeah, and I said I did that and, and Fiji. And, yeah, that that, that was it. Mm. I'd love to track down that interview, actually, to see if it's uh, online or something it, with Carrie Ann. Yeah, it's there. I mean, they had the whole studio set up like Survivor. And <laughs> um, she asked me a bunch of questions. And I think I asked her a few questions, too. Because... <laughs> uh, I'm assuming she's like the Barbara Walters. Yeah, or, she, she's, I don't know. she's Australian television royalty, it has to be said. she's um She's been on our screens for many years, and she's very well respected. Oh, great. Well, she was really nice, and we had a great conversation. Um, I did the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Uh-huh. You know, that was really fun. I took my, you know, my tourist photo, <laughs> and it, they actually put my picture up on the wall there. I ah. told my friends, hey, if, you, if you ever go to Australia, look on the wall of fame that they had there, and you'll see my picture. I'm going to. They're like, no, okay. I'm telling you, they put me on the wall. <laughs> I've actually, I'm ashamed okay. to admit, as many times as I've been to Sydney, I've never done the bridge climb. So uh, next time I'm there, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to look for your photo. Yeah, are you scared? Uh, I'm not, not really. I'd love to do it. I just never got around to it. <laughs> 
I hear that a lot. You know, people that live in the area, they don't do a lot of the tourist things. It's like people that live here in L.A. Yeah. They never, you know, been on the Hollywood Walk of Fame or they never did this or which the La Brea Tar Pits or things that are like popular here. You just don't do it. I mean, I get it. But if you do ever go, then... Uh-huh. I, I I should be on the wall unless they took me down by now. Okay. Maybe too many seasons. I say, oh, this guy isn't popular anymore. Let's take him down. <laughs> I'll have words to them. If you're not on there anymore, I'll, I'll make him put you back up. <laughs> yeah, they will put me back up because they literally put me next to Will Smith. Oh, wow. I remember. I was, I was like, cool. Can I put me up there next to Will Smith? Great. <laughs> Uh, Did somebody tell him that I'm there? <laughs> <laughs> I want somebody. I want somebody to message me in. Maybe who's done the uh, bridge climb or even lives in Sydney who might be doing it. Uh, doing it soon. Message me in. Take a photo of it to uh, to to let us yeah. know if it's there. No, it was great. And I, you know, I saw the Blue Mountains. I went to this place called Featherdale Park and got to play with kangaroos and koala bears. And, you know, was, you know, I even had a boomerang lesson. Ah. But there's a Aborigines guy. I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, I had such a wonderful experience there. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> these. Are, I mean, I've never even had boomerangs. These are things. I'm not Australian. I can't say that. Earl. I've never even had a boomerang lesson. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. And I threw up the boomerang. It was a handmade boomerang. Wow. Yeah. It was. It was pretty cool. It was a very awesome experience. Definitely sounds like it. But, I mean, yeah, you were talking. No, look, uh, it, it happens to these interviews. It's fun, and we're learning a lot. I was just going to say, um, the, the, obviously, Fiji known for the, the the twist where one tribe lived in luxury, uh, yourself and Ravu at the start. Uh, it was you know nowhere near as good as it was happening at Motu. How was that um, after all the, the losses? I mean, do you think that is the main factor as to why Moto won so many and Ravu just couldn't win a challenge? Yeah, now this is, this is the honest truth here. I think that's why a lot of people didn't like uh, the Fiji season. Because I think Fiji had great characters, a lot of great gamesmanship by everybody. Not just me, but we had a lot of strong players, smart people, great players. But it was overshadowed by this have versus have not because I think the public felt like that's just not even fair. You know, you can't have one tribe eating a feast and then the other tribe just totally famine. You know, it just doesn't sound, we just didn't have the energy at, at all. Like, we weren't eating anything. Like, we were eating basically just coconut. We were drinking coconut water and eating various, <laughs> you know, I've, I've had a coconut in every single way possible. <laughs> and these tiny little sand crabs that I figured out how to catch, that I would split, like, two little tiny crabs with ten people. So I was like, oh, you get a tiny little finger, you get this part, like, and, and that was it. And so while they were eating rice and potatoes and laying in a bed, that's what we were going through. So we weren't even getting any sleep. I think there was one point where I didn't sleep for three days straight. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. And Anthony can testify to that. Like, literally, I was up for three days. Because those three days, I was maintaining the fire, and I was strategically trying to figure out how to win. <laughs> like, I was always thinking of all these different scenarios in the middle of the night on how I could possibly win this game. <laughs> not have a clue that, you know, there was this thing called Emerge. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the secret right there, everybody. If you want to win Survivor Stat for three days consecutively and think that much. <laughs> yeah, so that definitely played a factor because we would do these challenges, and I remember I would give it my all because, like, physically, I would, we would we would beat the, the tribe. We would get there first, and we'd get to the puzzle. We would lose. It happened. That happened like five times in a row. Like we would win the physical part, but we were so worn out by the time we got to the puzzle, couldn't even think straight. And so we would. So it wasn't like they were just like totally dominating us like that, but we would just run out of gas. And we didn't 
Wow, we didn't know what they had on their trial. We didn't even know. We just knew that we had built this house together in the first three or four days of being on the island, but we didn't know that they had a bed and a sewing machine, a, a jet ski and a car, whatever all they had over there. <laughs> they had a coffee maker, and we didn't have anything. So that, that, and the, the, the biggest factor I think that happened that people don't realize, when we had our food challenge, it wasn't that the food was gross to us. It was literally we were dehydrated to the point that we had no saliva in our mouth to even chew it. It was that terrible. Or even if we were even worried about us. Because we were on three days of no water because we hadn't won anything, so we never got the flint. So we had no fire. Couldn't boil the water, so we, weren't, we didn't have anything. So we were so dehydrated. Like, we had two people pass out. Wow. I don't even know if it was on camera. But yeah, who, we had two who, people pass who out. Passed out. Who, who passed out? Michelle. Mm-hmm. I remember I was behind her, and she just fell over. Wow. Because we were just, it was just, people just getting dizzy. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's, um... So don't let anybody say that they just had such an all-star team. They'd be like, no, it was kind of an unfair advantage. Yeah. And I think the, the public just didn't like that. That's why they give our season a hard time. Well, I mean, I... And again, people always think when I say things like this, I'm sucking up, and I'm honestly not. But uh, I, I really do enjoy Fiji, and I agree exactly what you said about the um, characters, underrated people. I mean, there are so many people from oh, your yeah. season who I think we should have seen again. I mean, I'm just looking at the stats here. I mean, Ravu, I think, technically has the worst win record in Survivor, and it sort of, sort of holds these bad records and things like that. Oh, but, I mean, when you look at the divide, sort of as you were mentioning and how, how bad it was, I mean, for you, when you eventually made it to motor you must have been dancing around and celebrating seeing how they were living in it it was it was going from the ghetto to beverly hills like <laughs> it was that stream to me i was like wow we went from a small one-bedroom apartment to a 12-bedroom mansion but it felt that extreme and that's when i experienced winning then because I was able to get some sleep because they had a bed and a pillow. I was like, wow, a bed and a pillow. They had hammocks. I said, no wonder they were just kicking our butt and all these challenges. And so once I got on that side, started winning on that side. Yeah, and, and it, that was luck of the draw as well. You know, you base your strategy on the game on wherever you end up. Like, I didn't know if I was going to end up on back on Ravu or Moto. It was really a luck of the draw mm-hmm. is how that happened. Mm-hmm. And you're pretty darn good at rock, paper, scissors then. That's what you can put it down to. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that happens a lot. I mean, that happened this past season when they had to draw rocks. You sometimes it's got to be like, hey, I have no control over this moment. I'm just got to, like, lay it out there mm-hmm. and see what fate brings me. Yep, yep. And that's kind of what happens sometimes. Like, it, it, it's, there's always going to come a point where it's going to just come down to luck on Survivor. Yeah. No matter how skilled you are. Yep. I think I think I mean a lot of people you know discuss the all the various ways that winners have won the show or how you can do well. I mean I think the overall element is is luck. And I mean you know talking about the what if scenarios before, had you uh, ended up back on Ravu and you know things might have been different. And uh, I mean again the what if scenario, Earl Cole might not be a winner today. But look, we don't again we don't need to discuss those because you won. But it's it's fun to kind of speculate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean you can always do the woulda shoulda coulda. Yeah. With everything like, and if I would have been over here, I would have had to do this, or maybe this wouldn't have happened, or maybe that could have. I mean, yeah, but, you know, it happened the way it happened, and my, my goal was to just make sure I was in the best position, you know, to be in the best position at the end to win. So, and that takes a lot of calculating and thinking about a lot of things, talking to people the right way, thinking that social element, as you know, it's just really the most important, because I learned, like, 
I was approaching it like a business. So things, I w- wasn't really getting caught up in like, oh, she's good looking or she's flirting. <laughs> like none of that stuff mattered to me at all. Like all I cared about was just strategy on what will it take and, and kind of like delegating and being political. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And figured that a lot of people get really emotional and I don't blame them because when you're out there, it's really hard. That's why a lot of people have their come to Jesus moments and they do a lot of prayer. Like all that happens a lot. Mm. I think they did it on one of the seasons. I forgot what season. South Pacific. Over. South Pacific. It, it, was, it was a lot of, uh, yeah. <laughs> Very religious yeah. season. Yes. Uh, a lot of people yeah. uh, will say that. I mean, I, I love sort of the line there, pr- approaching it like a, like a business. I mean, uh, you know, one, the person I honestly think is the, the greatest player of all time, no offense, El, uh, Brian Heideck, who won Thailand. I mean, he famously came out and said, uh, I'm here on a business trip. So, you know, I mean, hearing you say that, I mean, that that's just, I think, sums it up. <laughs> Yeah, it's strictly business. and But you have to also understand, you have to know who you're playing against. And that's why every season, like winning one season of Survivor doesn't mean you can win another season. It depends on your cast. All it takes is one person to not like you. They can mess up your whole game. So every, every season is different. But you have to understand what makes that person tick. Or is that person emotional? Is that person volatile? Does this, per- does this person need encouragement? Does that person need to feel like it's their idea? Do they need to feel smarter than you. Like you have to look at all of that stuff on when you make your decisions on when to give information or when to just sit there and listen. Do I push this situation or do I pull this situation? Like, and that's just understanding people. And that's what I had to really think about all the time on what I would say and when I would do what. That's why people say, oh, Earl had a boring game. But no, it was not boring. Like, they might edit it in a certain way, but there was a lot of stuff that, that happened yeah. that, of course, people don't see. I, I definitely... Again, I'm not sucking up. I definitely don't think it was boring. I, I actually remember doing a rewatch of Fiji last year, and um, I posted in a, a group on Facebook, and my comment basically was, you know, why doesn't Earl get more love? I thought Earl played a fantastic game. Where's all the, the admiration for Earl? And I actually got a lot of comments basically saying, well, it's there. You obviously don't see it. Earl is very much respected. But um, it, it's, it sort of in, intrigues me, and a, a few listeners have sent questions in about that, why sometimes your win isn't... Um, isn't praised a little bit more amongst, uh, you know, all the wins in the history of Survivor for, for how you did it. Yeah, I mean, I know some people are more of an armchair Survivor viewer, and they, you know, I mean, they take it seriously, and I respect all viewers and fans. You know, they really study the game, but it's like studying a book where several chapters are missing, though. Like, you only see what CBS, what comes on CBS here, I don't know what comes on there, but whatever they show you. So they're only going to show you about 10% of what happens and they're going to make it, they're going to edit everyone to where it's kind of even to where you don't even know who's going to win anyway, because that makes for a good story. You know, everybody has their, their own arc, you know, where there's redemption or somebody coming out of their shell like Cochran or somebody, you know, learning humility. Or it, it's some kind of story they have to tell because they have to make it entertaining. They can't have just one guy dominate from day one every single episode. Like, yeah. that would be crazy. Even if they did that, they can't show that. That's why, that's how I learned how the editing worked. Like, when I finished, they told me, like, hey, you did a great job, but we're going to tell you the way it's going to edit, Yao Man's going to be the star of the show. I was like, really? <laughs> like, Yao Man is? Like, I was really surprised. Like, of, of everything that happened out there, like, that's what you, that's who you guys are going to play up and say, oh, that's interesting. I, was, I didn't know it worked like that. And when I watched it, I was like, wow, they didn't even show this part or that part. They didn't even show how that happened or that happened. Like they can really create it to look like anything. Yeah. 
So I found that fascinating that they do that. Hmm. It's it's developed so much too over the years that if you ever go back and watch an earlier season, basically you feel like you get to know everyone and you sort of you know feel for them and you don't get a real um you know an obvious person who's going to win. Whereas now, I mean, I don't know how you felt about um Blood vs Water Earl, but I mean to me and a lot of people, I think you kind of gathered Tyson was going to win from a certain episode. I think it's sort of the way it's edited is completely different now. To even back when when you play the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. I'm thinking like a producer because I, I know it's like the producer. Like, you want to plant the seed that, hey, this is a good guy. Because you don't want it to be like the bad guy to win. you got to show some good element of them. Like, show them in good light, make them disappear for a few episodes, let everybody else try to figure out who's winning, you know, let some gameplay happen. But uh, so that's why it's difficult for me to watch seasons sometimes because I feel like, well, I can't really comment too much because I really don't know what happened because I know what it's like. I don't know what really happened or what made someone make that decision or not do that or not make that move. And I, like, it's hard to critique those people. You can't critique people on Survivor if you're not there. You don't know why they're doing certain things or why they didn't because you don't know all the gameplay that happened that, they, that you didn't see. Mm. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm you already know all this stuff. No, but so it's, it's, it's no, it's, yeah. it's completely fine. I mean, it's something that sort of can be discussed at length. I mean, uh, one particular person on, on your season, Cassandra, who made it to the final tribal council with you. I mean, she got a very invisible edit, I suppose you could say, and then you know everything that sort of happened at final tribal council with her. And when we had Cassandra on uh, earlier this year, you know, she went into as much detail as she could in the time we had about what happened. I mean, were you surprised at how Cassandra was portrayed um, when we eventually saw the show? I don't even remember how she was even portrayed. Because, <laughs> uh, like I said, I had the real-world experience with her. Um, what was she, oh, was she portrayed as, like, she didn't do that much? Yeah, pretty much. She was almost portrayed as basically a goat, taken to the end, and then everybody okay. seemed to go off at her at a final tribal council. Yeah, um, well, I mean, there's always a, a few characters like that on every, every season. I mean... Heck, what was the girl that won? Sophie Clark. She won, and no one even knew she existed. So, like, she didn't have that many interviews. I mean, I'm sorry, confessionals. Like, you just never know. But with Cassandra, yeah, she did some things that were definitely uh, pretty key. I mean, her and I established our alliance um, when I did the merge. She stayed on Moto. She was fortunate like Boo was, where they were all on the winning side. So they had a whole other experience, her and Boo has always been on that winning side. And Stacy as well. They don't even know what it's like to be in the wretched, horrible Ravu because <laughs> it was terrible over there. They didn't experience that, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I think she was, you know, vilified. I don't know why, but sometimes the producers kind of, like, tell the uh, jury members, like, okay, we want you to really go hard on this person or really just lay into them, make them earn it. They say, like, make them earn it. And so I think that's why Alex was hard on her. And some people want to blame um, Cassandra for, uh, I forgot. But, I mean, people say, I'm, I'm, and please forgive me if I don't remember. This is years ago. So <laughs> people want to, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I haven't talked about this in a while. So putting you on the spot they for want some to of this. It's, it's good memories, Earl. Good memories, Earl. <laughs> <laughs> but she really didn't. It was like basically she felt like she wasn't treated that well from Moto before the merge. And she remembered that. And when I heard that story, I played into that. Like, oh, those guys treated you bad. Hey, I would treat you so great. And I will take you to the end. Like, we can work together. And you just vote with me. We can go to the end. So that's kind of how I approached her. And she trusted me. 
you know, she trusted the decisions I made and stayed with me, and I made it fair for everyone. I said, hey, we can all stick together, and it's free for all in the top five. Yeah. I said, anybody can do whatever they want, no hard feelings. Yeah, that's a good way to approach but, it, actually, I think, sometimes. Yeah, and I said, let's just keep our line strong until then. But I understand the closer you get to the money, bad decisions get made. I said, but if you can just stick to the plan, all the way to the top five, hey, I'm not mad at anybody for what they do at that point. But don't get, don't make your moves too early because you start smelling the money. Hmm. Yeah, that's like you have to discipline yourself. Trips a lot of people up sometimes. I mean, just sort of not dwelling on the edit and Cassandra. That I mean, just sort of a, a comparison to see how she was uh, shown. If you look at the final three, um, the, the confessional counter, there are people out there who tally up all the <laughs> confessionals you get. I mean, you got fifty nine confessionals for the season. Dreams got forty four. Yao Man got forty six, and Cassandra only got twenty two. So, um, you know, that's sort of the screen time and confessionals and that and sort of going back onto what, what you're saying about how, you know, there is so much that isn't shown and that, you know, only sort of you guys who are out there know the full story. Yeah, and it, it depends on what people say in confessionals. If you're not a big talker or if you're like one of the, like you get a lot of confessionals if you're a good narrator. Like if you can narrate what happens, if a producer say, okay, what's going on in your professional, in your confessional, if you're able to really communicate that effectively, you get a lot of airtime. Like, so if you, if you don't, like if you're shy or you don't know everything that's going on, then you won't get a lot of that. So you really have to know what's going on and know how to communicate that well on camera, then you get more confessionals. If you like don't have a lot of words, or not, that's why they want talkative people. They want a lot of extroverts on Survivor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, now, uh, I, I don't think she communicated you know, a lot. So they didn't use her confessionals a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are even some winners that sort of get a very low confessional count. But again, that's a whole uh, different story. Do you think that when Dreams flipped on the Four Horsemen, came to you and told you everything, do you think that was maybe the key move that helped you win the game? No, no. Um, I mean, it was, it was helpful, of course. It was definitely very helpful. I mean, like I said, my game was all about adaptability. If something went wrong, I just had to change my game. It's like when Michelle got voted out, I had to change my game. I had to totally recruit somebody in her place and change some stuff around. I do think that was key, knowing that information, like along with many other things, but I still didn't trust dreams. Like I wanted to, but I wasn't sure if he was trying to play me because I had not been around him because I was on the other tribe. So him giving me that information, I didn't know if I could believe him or not because I didn't really know him like that. But Cassandra said, like, no, you can trust him. I said, I don't know. I said, well, that's good information, but we're going to vote a different way just in case and not tell dreams what was going on. And so that's why in that particular uh, episode where we voted out at Gardo and they thought it was going to be Alex, dreams didn't have a clue that that was, <laughs> that that was going to happen. That's why the look on his face was very real. I love all the, looks, going all the looks on people's faces through Alex's and the cocky looks straight through to your kind of little nod and your little like, yep, we've got this. And it was, oh, it was brilliant. Brilliant episode. Yeah. It's, yeah. But, but that was definitely good information that, that dreams provided. And, you know, after that, he proved that, you know, he is on our side because before that, you know, I think he had voted out Michelle. I think it was before that. And I already said Michelle was part of the alliance. But strategically, I don't know if he did it strategically or just not knowing. I don't know if he went with the group to vote her out or I, I didn't know what he was thinking, really. And that's what made me, like, on the fence whether I can trust him or not. 
because that really changed my game around when I lost Michelle unexpectedly. Mm, yeah. yeah. And on the yeah. flip side of that, too, when Stacy went home, given then that obviously uh, Cassandra Dreams had flipped their votes, I mean, was that kind of an opposite situation where you, you started to get a bit worried and then the, the adaptability you're talking about and really having to change your game up? I mean, was that one of the, the most worrying moments for you out there? Yeah, um, yeah, I didn't know that they, I wasn't sure. I mean, you kind of get a feeling sometimes. I knew Yao had the, the idol because, of course, I had to find it. And because um, really, me and, me and Yao were sharing the idol. So it's like whoever needed it was going to use it. And it was just getting weird around, around camp. Sometimes you can feel it. And I said, I think you might be safe. And he's like, no, I don't think I am. I said, well, maybe you need to play the idol just in case, you know. <laughs> and he wasn't sure even there, but. I didn't know that they were going to target Yao Man then. I knew it was going to come at some point because I'm sure people had a feeling he had the idol and they like to flush the idol out. I learned about all of that and somebody gave it away. Like tribal council, I always tell people, you're still playing the game and Jeff tries to make you make mistakes mm-hmm. and say things you should say. Mm-hmm. If somebody said something, they'd say, oh, oh, you better play that idol, Yao Man. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot who said it. But I remember, I think me and Yami looked at each other like, whoa. And then he played it, and then that's when Stacy got blown out. But that was going to be the order anyway. It was going to be Stacy. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, it, obviously the idol, it worked. It was um, it was perfect. And then uh, it kept going. I mean, Yao Man just seemed, even you were sort of talking about getting rid of Yao Man at certain points in that game. I mean, was that down to the, as you were saying, back to when it gets to the final five, it's just basically everyone for themselves? Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to be fair, Kevin, like if, I'm not going to, I wanted to keep things realistic. Like, I know when there's a million dollars on the line, people are going to start looking out for themselves. You're not going to say, like, oh, hey, I want to take all my best friends to the end. <laughs> like, no one wants to do that. That's stupid. Like, you want to take people that you can beat. Like, that. that is what you want to do. And I wanted to make it fair up to the top five. That's it. After that, hey. They might do what they want. What was, and that's kind of what happened. So did you feel then that in that top five, that Cassandra and Dreams obviously were the two people that you could beat? Yeah, I, mean, I felt that I had a chance of, you know, I felt like I played enough of the game in a respectful way. I didn't do anybody wrong. I was always upfront and honest with people. Like I said, I always put myself in a position to where, hey, you see me, but I don't want to... I mean, once I figured out like I said, that it was a people game and it really is about social, I knew that winning challenges didn't matter. You only need to win challenges is when you have flaws in the other part of your game where you have to win. But if I make my strategy game so good and solid, I don't have to worry about winning challenges. That's why they weren't that important to me because I felt like I had my alliance pretty strong and it didn't matter if I wanted that. I'd rather use Boo to win challenges so that the people I want to get out we can vote them out, <laughs> you know, because I figure if I start winning challenges, I'm going to become a target. Yeah. Because Survivor is a weird kind of game. It's like it starts off, you vote off the weakest people, keep the strongest people. You make the merge, you vote off the strongest people and keep the weakest people. And then the person you want to win isn't really the person that you think you're supposed to win because they're playing the game is too good. Everybody likes them. They'll win, so let's vote them out. So it ends up being like this, you have to have this kind of flaw in your game or personality that make people want you to be at the end. It's, it's really strange how, how you have to play it that way. Yeah. Because you can't be so likable and wonderful and so dominant. Why would somebody want to keep you then? If I win two, three challenges in a row, I'm going to have to win six in a row now. Because now I'm, I'm a threat and everybody wants to get rid of me. 
But if I just win one or none, then all I have to do is just worry about my gameplay. Hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting that if you don't... Like my- I was just going to say, it's interesting if you look at the stats of some of the winners, that um, there are six winners, including yourself, that um, have never won an individual challenge. So it goes to show, as you're exactly saying, that sometimes winning challenges or not winning challenges is more of a benefit than a, you know, a negative. Exactly. So, and a lot of people don't understand that. Yes, it's more fun to see people win a bunch of challenges, but who wants to be in a position of Ozzy to where you have to win, where they want to vote you out every time, that, but... And shit. But you see, when he did lose one, he got voted out. So why do that to yourself? I figured, like, why am I going to put that kind of target on my back? Like, and I know people, it's, it's hard to understand, like, that, the, you know, the competitor in me, of course, I always want to win. But I was really thinking long term, like, if I win this and start dominating challenges, it's just going to be a tough position to be in. You know, no one's going to want to take me to the end. Or even though no one was taking me to the end, like, people are just going to try to get rid of me. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I was doing. So, so were there challenges in that you could have won? I mean, I don't know what I could have won, but, oh, you know, one that I know I, I would have won? <laughs> this is something you probably don't know. There was a challenge to where um, <laughs> we were blindfolded going through this maze, mm-hmm. and we had to open these keys. Everything was blindfolded. And I was in second place, and somebody was in first place. I won't say who. And they were zooming through the whole challenge, like, wow, like, because I was getting pretty lucky, get doing everything right. And then Jeff was like, stop, hold up, stop, you know, stop cheating. <laughs> so the person in front could actually see past the blindfold. So they couldn't even do it right. They were actually just zooming through it, like, come on, you can at least <laughs> act like you can, you know. But they were zooming through. So we had to do that. I mean, we had been doing this challenge about 30 minutes. We had to start the whole thing over. Wow. And it was luck. And so I think that challenged Yao Man in the winning because it was really about luck. And at that point, I said, I am not doing this whole challenge over. <laughs> you know, I worked so hard to get to the position I was in. And plus, I knew I had to idle, too, so it didn't matter. Yeah. And I knew I was going to playing it. Because even though I didn't need it, I said, you just never know. And so I played it. And I, but that was something that happened and no one knows. Like, we had to start over a challenge because someone was cheating. Wow. And I think I probably... A challenge. I don't think I've ever heard um, about ever having to start a challenge again. I, I, I've been told John Carroll said that on Marquesas they had to start Final Tribal Council again because Jeff wasn't happy with how it was done. Um, so I, I don't know about uh, challenges. That's 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 pretty amazing to um, to well, hear that. I can tell you a little things we had to start over. Hey, I'll, I'll even take you back here. I'll give you a little nugget here. Day one before the game even starts. When you know when you see us all, I don't know if someone told you the story from our Fiji. Season. I don't, I don't think about, so. No, no one told you about the boat. No, no, sinking? I haven't. No, I haven't heard about the boat sinking. Here we go. No. Oh, okay. All right. So you know you see these wonderful shots at the beginning. Everybody's rowing the boat, and like you hear the music, survivor starting, and you, they show the you know. So these castaways are going to be, and you know, Jeff does this little commentary. We were doing that boat part that they were filming. And the waves got really big, and our boat sank, and everybody was no life preservers and was all over the place in the ocean. Wow. It was pure panic. <laughs> and people were sinking like rocks because we had on clothes, you know, jeans and shirts and sneakers. And I and some people couldn't swim. <laughs> it, was a, it was just crazy. Like, that was my first experience. Like, wow, we sank in the middle of the ocean, and I could swim. And I had to save Sylvia's life. She'll tell you. Wow. Because 
going to, she was drowning. <laughs> and I had to swim over there and pull her and get her. And I didn't even know her. I didn't know anybody. We had never spoken to each other, none of us. Remember, we were on this thing called a gag order where we couldn't talk until we actually reached the beach. Yeah. So once we took the, to the ocean, we rolled to the beach, and that's when the game started. And we sank before we got to the beach. <laughs> and so we had to do that whole scene over, you know. So we had to wait till our clothes dried a little bit. We sat in the boat. We still couldn't talk. <laughs> still couldn't talk. And then we shot that whole scene over, knowing we almost just drowned. Wow. Wow. That was, that's amazing. What was Jeff doing through the whole time? Is, is Jeff going, ah, oh, you idiots. We're going to have to film this again. Hurry up. No. Jeff wasn't even there. I think Jeff was in a helicopter. <laughs> He's laughing above you, going, oh, look at them all. <laughs> They're looking down, and they see the boat go on. The, I think the boat just disappeared and went underwater. <laughs> so, so we're, like, out there in the middle of the ocean swimming with no life preservers. And, you know, certain people couldn't swim, and certain people were panicking because it was the waves were pretty high. Because yeah. I kept when we were rowing. I was like, man, this water sure is getting kind of choppy. <laughs> And it just kept getting bigger and bigger. Next, you know, we just took a big hit from a wave, and it filled up the boat, and we went straight down. Wow, that's uh, that's good. Yeah. That's good to know. That's that's a very interesting uh, thing that I don't know many people know. That's um, so I love these interviews. Earl. Yeah. We we find out a lot. Now we're going to get into some listener questions very shortly, and wrap it up with our final five. But just before we do, a couple of other questions. Fiji, obviously very known, uh, very well known for the situation with Yao dreams in the car. Now, um, I mean, what was your thoughts when all that was? was happening right in front of you and, and was there any more to that that we didn't get to see on TV? Well, the, the thing about that thing is there was this ongoing story with, with dreams that, you know, he used to be homeless when he was younger, blah, blah, blah. He didn't have much. And okay. And we knew a card challenge was coming up and we all said, okay, whoever wins this thing, uh, we should just give the drink, the dreams, the car. Cause none of us really needed a car. We'll use the car to do some strategic move or something. We were all talking about giving dreams the car. So that was already discussed. And so it ended up being Yao winning that one. And so he struck that deal with dreams. Now, I wouldn't have did the deal that way, but I let people do what they want to do. You know, I would have really waited you know, to give him that car <laughs> and, and, until he gave me the idol. Hmm. You know, it's easy to say now, but yeah, that's how I would have did it. But I didn't know that Dreams was actually going to do what he did. A lot of people don't know that, you know, there's a lot of us that are part of why he did what he did. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like he was just some bad, terrible guy. Like, he was playing the game, and that's part of the game. You know, people lie, cheat, and steal in Survivor. So people that wanted to vilify him on that, it just wasn't right. I mean, it was just strategy to do it. And he didn't even ask. He like, hey, what do you think? I said, hey, you should do whatever works best for you. Mm-hmm. You know, make your decision. I was hoping that he would, like, keep it. But I was prepared if he didn't. I was prepared to say what I needed to say. Because we were still at that point thinking there was going to be a top two. We didn't know it was going to be a top three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a listener question on that. Because I, I know from speaking to people from your season that Cook the, the finale of Cooks hadn't aired yet. So you going into that were unaware that that was a final three. Which, um, you know, it, it makes it... it, makes it a surprise for you, uh, not for the viewers maybe, that it's a final three, this is going to change the game. Well, yeah, the viewers have seen the, the season before that. when they, I think that was the first time they did the top yeah, three. Yeah, was Cook, Cook Islands was the first time. We didn't know that because we were, we were shooting. So we always thought final two. So even the gameplay was up to a final two. So I was thinking like, oh, everything will still be fine regardless. So it kind of surprised me when it all of a sudden became top three. I was like, whoa, really? <laughs> and so... That's kind of what led me to certain decisions 
being made. Um, did I answer your question about the car? No, no, pretty much, pretty much. I think I think it was answered. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, yeah, you know he, he struck the deal. Uh, it didn't work out. Um, I don't know if any other CG person told you, but Dreams did offer to give him the idol before Tribal Yeah, Council yeah, I think Boo told us that, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I was right there when that happened, and he didn't take it, which is fine. You know, he wanted, you know, <laughs> he should have took it, <laughs> but I understand why he didn't say, oh, just give it to me, you know, at Tribal Council. It makes it more dramatic and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But it happened that way, did it? Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and then again, there's a what-if scenario. Once again, Earl, had he uh, taken it? Did, did you go into Final Tribal Council thinking you would win? I went into Tribal Council thinking I had a great shot. I think I... I played a great game, but again, the gamesmanship never stops. Like even in tribal council, I was never comfortable. I never knew when a blind side would happen. Like you're always paranoid. And I went to the final thing. Like, man, what if they have sympathy for dreams? Like, or what if they want to, you know, do an underdog vote for Cassandra? Like, you just don't know. You can't be that cocky or confident. And so I just say, you know what? I'll just deliver just an honest speech and try to like cancel out any thoughts they might have the other two and and that's what i did i knew i had a chance of winning i didn't know it was going to be unanimous i thought the dreams might get one or two from somebody I, I didn't know but i knew that i had played a very respectful game a nice game very smooth clean game because another part of my strategy was was having people think that i didn't have a strategy and that i wasn't playing the game and that was difficult it was really hard like i said to not win certain challenges or not play as hard in certain areas and then make people think that you were following with they, their lead when you weren't, when you had other things going on behind. Like, that was difficult to do sometimes because <laughs> you want to take the lead, but you know it's not smart to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, there's, again, strategy in itself. I, I, I remember um, in speaking to Danny Boatwright, winner of Guatemala, I mean, part of her strategy was not even to let the, uh, the producers know her strategy because she wanted to sort of <laughs> keep it quiet so that it wasn't portrayed in a certain way. Yeah, you can't trust the producers either. Like, you can't. You can't trust the cameramen, so, and you can't trust Jeff. Mm-hmm. Like, I literally been there, when I started to learn how it worked, I knew not to say certain things in tribal council, even though Jeff would try to pull it out. Like, I would just say something random or something just, just very political to where he would even ask me certain questions after a while because I'm not going to reveal to other people what I'm doing or who I would want to get rid of. Like, I don't do that. And the same thing with the producers because if you tell, if you say one thing, they can, like, Say in another confessional that you're not around to somebody else. Don't you think you ought to take a bigger look at Earl? Yeah, yeah. Do you think he might have the idol? Like, and you have to keep that in mind. You can't be so honest with them. And they'll give up some nuggets too, as well. I think that would help, um, like people like Russell find the idol. Mm. Sometimes you can get stuff out of cameramen or producers that they don't even know that you're paying attention to. And I think uh, he might have saw that because um, they changed the idol. I think. The season after mine, like it was impossible to find an idol up to season fourteen mm. without clues. Mm-hmm. Impossible. It was buried underground. Mm-hmm. It's like not going to find it walking on a path or in a tree. <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Well, like, be- now they they find them like Easter eggs now. It's like so easy. Yeah, and they they have them in in plain sight. We saw that in China straight after your season, the Philippines. I mean, they were just you know right there in front of people. I was actually we were talking about this the other day on on um on one of our episodes that um. I think it was in this season with Blood vs. Water where the the cameraman was sort of filming Tyson look for the idol and then they sort of were showing him digging but then they quickly panned up to where it was 
and I think somebody yeah. might have mentioned or Tyson had said something that if you just watch the cameraman, like, why is he filming up in the tree? You would surely think to yourself, bang, there's the idol. Yeah, and, and that's true. I think they started making it easy like that. I mean, but you got to understand the producers, too. Like, it was a learning lesson for them in dealing with the idol. I mean, just think, the season before mine, they made the idol so powerful. Like, when uh, Yule had it, like, that was just too powerful. And I think they finally got it right on my season to where you can, you know, you can play it after the, before the votes, and up to, you know, the top five. And then they made it to where, okay, well, we like this idle stuff. Let's make it easier to find. And because it was really hard to find. Like, you really need, like, four or five clues to find this narcissist. <laughs> it's, it's gone, like, it's gone so, like, I mean, exactly as you said, sort of, season before yours, Yule is very well known for having such a powerful idol that helped him win. Even the season before in Panama, Terry had his idol for so long, and it helped him progress in the game. Right through to then, Russell's finding them left, right, and center. They try and make it harder again. Uh, I think last season in Caramoan, it was just, there was an idol every episode, and on Blood vs. Water, we hardly saw an idol till right at the end. So it's kind of... The, the the way they change the rules and hide them and everything, it really sort of dictates how much an idol or how powerful an idol becomes in a season. Yeah, and it does. And it, it, it makes for an entertaining episode. I mean, the fans love seeing someone play an idol when they were going to get voted out. and like, Yeah, and I get it. They love the fake idols. and it, it makes it fun. You know, so I see why they want it in gameplay. But I wasn't a big – I mean, I, I respect Tyson for winning the season, but I wasn't a big fan of – having that many idols and then having Redemption Island like that. I, I'm not a fan of Redemption Island, but I think when you get voted out, you're out of the game. It's a different mentality when you know you still have a second chance, you know, where you got people willing to volunteer to go to Redemption Island. Like, that's not how Survivor really is. Like, it, you play so hard because you're afraid that your game is done. You can't, like, oh, well, I'm just going to Redemption Island. I have a chance to get back in the game. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a different kind of game you're playing, man. Very much so, very much so. Now, I always like to ask the winners, Earl, and I'm sure you've been asked this question a whole lot uh, since you did win the season. What was the first thing that you bought with your money? Um, hmm. What was the first thing? <laughs> I think the first thing I did was give my, my mom a lot of money. So, the chair and her gave her, a, my whole family, a big chunk of most of it. Um, I didn't really buy anything. You know, I already had a nice job. I already had a car. I, I already had all those things. Uh, my thing was traveling. I think the first place I went was uh, Europe. So, yeah, I went all over the world. So I did a lot of traveling for about two years. I think the first place I went was uh, Paris, and I went to Prague and Germany. And, you know, I went all over. Then I went to Australia and Fiji. And I just started going to all these different places I'd always wanted to go. And so basically my money was spent on traveling, and then I got into being a serial entrepreneur and started investing in different things, mm. different companies. Mm. It's, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, I didn't buy like, you know, the big car. <laughs> I, I didn't do that. And I live in L.A., so unless I have $5 million, I'm not going to get a nice house <laughs> with just a million bucks. And, you know, of course, half of it gone to taxes. <laughs> and I'll tell you, everyone learned that lesson from which you had. Well, I was going to say, you hey, did pay your taxes, didn't you, Earl? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, what, what was great about when I won was I had time to actually invest ahead of time because I had to, like, I won in May. May, I had to pay my taxes till the following April. So I was able to make up the difference of the money I lost in taxes just in investing in just, you know, interest by then. So that was the, for anybody who's not there, invest your money. Don't spend all of it right away. Invest it, make it grow a little bit. 
before you pay those taxes because mm-hmm. that, that tax, man, let me tell you, <laughs> I still remember the $437,000 check that you have to write. <laughs> wow, that is a that is a big show. I mean, the thing in Australia is that we, we don't have as nearly as, um, I mean, we don't really have shows that give away a million dollars. We have, but it's very rare. Um, we don't pay taxes on our winnings on reality shows. So, I mean, when we had our one season of Survivor, I think the guy won 250000 nowhere near a million. Um, but, um, yeah, we, we don't have to pay tax on that. So that's one thing. Yeah. Oh, believe me, I was thinking of places to move to to where I didn't have to. I said, maybe that's food in Costa Rica. Well, my money would be like, it would be like winning $3 million if I lived there. Or maybe I should move to this country. And then I can, you know, you know I've really considered things like that, you know, because I was single, no kids. I, I could move anywhere at that point. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just, just tough it out here in L.A. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> and just pay my taxes and, and just continue with life. I did quit my job, so ah, right. it's, it's been a great, you know, last Six years and been pretty, pretty, pretty smooth sailing. What, what did your boss say with the one who said that you had to go out and win? Did he, did he go up? Good job. Yeah. So, yeah. So, what's funny is, you know, as you know, when the show is airing, I'm, I'm still at work every day. I say, so how far did you go? And I couldn't tell him. You know, I'll get that, they ask that every day. How far did you go? And uh, when I finally got to the end, they saw that I was going to win. You know, they wanted me to stay. They bought me this nice new computer <laughs> and, you know, wanted to give me a little raise and all that kind of stuff. But I literally gave them a one-day notice <laughs> after I got that check. Like, hey, today is my last day of work. <laughs> and they just kind of laughed and they understood. Wow. You know, because I was starting to travel and do different interviews and, you know, I was doing different talk shows. So, yeah, so it, it, we still chuckle about it, and I still stay in touch with a lot of my old coworkers. Oh, that's good to hear. Now, again, get into the existing questions in just a sec, but I always do ask Earl, and a lot of people um, ask this question. Have you ever been asked back to play again? Yes. Yes. What seasons? Can you give us the goss? Uh, I was asked to do Fans versus Favorite. Mm-hmm. I remember that because I was still fresh off of my win, and then they called me and asked me to do fans versus favorites. And so, you know, I told my family, like, hey, you know, they want me to do it again. You know, you got to sign this paperwork, you know. <laughs> I went through the whole process, the shots, all of that stuff. And uh, I was really reluctant to do it in any way. But then they ended up changing the, the strategy of the season anyway. Yeah. So there was no win. Yeah. So uh, I was kind of relieved because I really didn't want to, like, be gone for two months. You know, because I think I, I started a new business. I was still doing a lot of things. And so, uh, yeah, they, they asked me to do that, and they asked me to, to do um, Blood vs. Water. Yeah, I was going to so, ask that, because I had a listener send in a question. Uh, they've just had their name as Blue Bear, saying that you were considered for Blood vs. Water. I mean, how far did you get in, in that casting process, and who were you going to play with? Well, it was going to be me and my wife. To take you back, to circle back to my earlier conversation, uh, me and the girl that were dating, when I got asked to be on Survivor, mm-hmm. I ended up marrying that woman. Ah, good. That's happy so ending. That worked, that worked <laughs> out. <laughs> so I got the money in the girl. <laughs> so um, they asked me and my wife to do it. Uh, she's not really into that. And, and same position first. It's hard for her to take off, you know, two months of work to do that. Because literally you're disconnected from the world for practically two months. And um, she just wasn't into it as much. You know, she was willing to do it for me. And she's like, you know, now she's really excited. Oh, man, they asked me, you know, I'll totally do it. You know, I'm ready to do it. Like, yeah, I'm sure you are. 
But, uh, yes, we just end up not even doing the show, which is fine. You know, we might have an opportunity again. You know, I'm glad I'm still on their radar. Well, I was going to say, would you? Yeah. I mean, I think the one that a lot of people are talking about is potential of an all-winner season. I mean, is that something that tickles your fancy? You know, my take on an all-winner season, I don't think it's going to happen. And my reasoning behind it, I think Jeff Pope's even said he wouldn't want to do it. Because if you think about all the winners, think about what kind of show that's going to make. The thing that makes Survivor interesting is the dynamics of it. There's some people that go in there to be famous and do crazy stuff, and there's people that go in there to actually win. If you make all people that want to win, it's so much strategy and so much things not being said and people not taking chances that I'm not sure if it'll be a great season. Like, if you really about it, like, will it really be a great season? Because think about the type of people that win. Like, you really got to be kind of a straight-laced person. Even the people that are return players, think of how they change their game in order to win. Like, Tyson, his third, it's like third time's a charm. It took him three times the way he had to figure out, I better change the way I approach people, talk to people, you know, how I do things in order to win. It took Boston Rob four times yes. to figure that out. Yes. You know, and CBS handed him that win. Yes. <laughs> but I, I, I think, you know, I'm not sure if it would be a great season. Like, I'm, I'm all for it. Like, yeah. Like, if they want to do it, like, hey, I'll do it. If it's all winners, I'll do it. But, well, like, I'd, that, I'd give I you a good I'd... shot at that, though, Earl, I think. Um, you know, I was discussing this the other day with someone and sort of thinking about the, the people who would be targeted first and sort of, you know, you'd have you'd straight away someone would probably want to target Sandra because if she's won twice and, you know, if Boston Rob was to play again and all that sort of stuff. Whereas someone like yourself, and I can see maybe a Danny Boatwright or a Sophie that you mentioned before, could possibly fly under the radar while the big personalities are targeted and, um, you know, put you in a good position if, if that's how it played out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone would be targeted from the get-go. I think all the guys would be targeted first mm-hmm. automatically. When you think about somebody that won twice, I wouldn't worry about them winning three times. I said, I don't think anybody would let somebody win three times. Mm-hmm. Like, She's a goat then. Sandra's a goat. Take her to the end. <laughs> yeah, that's what people normally do. They are like, because, you know, she doesn't participate in a lot of challenges and everything, but she understands that it's a social game. Mm-hmm. Like I said, that's what actually has. It's really just social and put yourself in the right position, align yourself with the right people. You know, sometimes you let them do the dirty work and go, go it that way. Mm-hmm. And I. You know, I couldn't call it on how that season would turn out, but it could be cool. I think they would change the rules a little bit yeah. to make it more interesting. Be very interesting. You know, like you win five million dollars, whoever wins. Like, <laughs> oh man, they'll be ready to kill each other. I think to so. win. You want to talk about lying? It'll be a lot of lying and tearing people's heart out. <laughs> yeah. So I think originally, um, in All Stars, that was uh, initially the the way of getting them back. They initially offered two million for the win, but then they decided to give a million away for the the fan favorite, which of course, um, <laughs> Rupert got a got a free million. You know, out of it. I didn't even know that. Mm. Yeah, I didn't even know that they, they did that. But I think they would have to change it because you're not as inclined to want to do it again when you won. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand that. It's like, you've already won. It's like, what are you doing it for again? For the money or you want to be on TV again? Like, I understand when you didn't win because you want like, I want to finish where I left off. I want that sense of accomplishment. I want to fix the mistakes I made before. You know, so I get it when to do it. But when you win, it's like, ah, uh, do I want to starve again? I like my life right now. <laughs> you know, I, I love the game. I get it. But, it depends on what you're doing in life. Like, if you're busy, it's kind of hard to go back. Yeah. Like, when you really work a lot. But if you're, like, you know, survivor's the thing that you do, like like Sandra, mm-hmm. or, you know, or you're, or you're in entertainment or looking to 
do something like that. Like, okay, you probably want to go back again. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, it's you know? it's interesting. And, the winners, sort of, who I've spoken to, some you know, have obviously said, yeah, do it in a heartbeat. I mean, Sandra, I love the fact that you ask her and she's, yeah, I'll go out there. I'll win it for a third time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, I don't think. She, I mean, anything's possible. Mm-hmm. I think it would be difficult to win three times. I mean, it's difficult to win two times. So kudos to her for that. It's difficult to be on Survivor. But, you know, I give more props to the people that win the first time mm-hmm. than people that do it second, third, fourth time. Like, I think doing it that first time is how you really play the game. Mm-hmm. When you're given a second or a chance, yeah, you're able to change your game around and fix certain mistakes. But who you really are is how you play that first time. Yep. Absolutely agree with you there. Now, I'm going to get to these questions now because we've got a lot to get through, and I want to get through them quickly because I've also got our final set of questions we ask. Now, thanks to everyone who sent these in. Um, first of all, Dave. Now, he hasn't given a last name, just said Dave. Uh, he said, you had one vote cast against you that prevented you from joining the likes of JT and Cochran as the only players who achieved a, quote, perfect game. Now, does it bother you that you fell short of the achievement by one vote? Uh, not at all, because I think, I mean, there is no perfect game, of course, um, but that vote was not against me. It was just a throwaway vote. I can't even tell you the exact scenario on how it happened. It was so early on in the game, and I was one of the stronger players, and Rita didn't really understand the game, and she was worried about backlash on voting for the people we wanted to and made promises. So she said, well, I'll just vote for Earl, because no one's going to vote him out, so I'll be safe putting his name down because everybody likes Earl, because Earl does everything, so it's 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 okay. I won't be voting anybody out. That that was her strategy. <laughs> like it wasn't against me that she didn't like me or she wanted to get rid of. It was really just this throwaway vote. So I pretend like I mean it happened, but it's easy to forget that that even occurred. Technically, technically so it didn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was so early in the game. I, you know, I mean that's why. You know, I can still say, like, hey, you really, I didn't get any votes in here, but technically it did happen. So, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't bother me at all. It, it happened. You know, it, it didn't mean anything. So, instead of me, people talking about me joining the ranks, you know, hey, they didn't join the ranks of me. <laughs> you know, I was the first year winner. Exactly. And, yeah, I had, I still had the most votes. Yep. You know, JT, I think, only had seven. Yeah. Cotton only had eight. Yep. I had nine. You're the only one to get nine. And I did, yeah, and, and JT did it against him and one other person. I had three people. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. Well, uh, you've got you got a few records actually. I might I might call some of them out. Uh, Dave also adds, um, you are the obviously the only African American male to ever win uh, out of twenty seven seasons. Is it disappointing that there have been no other African American males? Or actually, to add to that question, there hasn't even been another African American male or female that's won since you. Um, hey, well, Jervis got pretty close, Very and close. Um, Sabrina Sabrina got close. Mm-hmm. Philip got close. Uh, no, disappoint me i mean i you know every season is different and you know that's hard to say it, it doesn't disappoint me it's like hey i'm sure someday somebody will win you know like i said two people got close after me and that was sabrina and jervis it didn't work out that way but they got close so i definitely think someone else will win you know someone like someone else asian will win it won't be just you you know yeah, those things that happen, you know. Hey, I, I root for everybody, always. But uh, I, so I'm not disappointed. You know, I would like to see more diversity each season. You know, instead of having like a token this and a token that, and I'd like to see like, hey, why not put three or four out there? You know, let, why not have an, an Indian American out yeah. there or mix it up a little bit? Yeah, I think that that, that is a, the dynamics of America. It's 
pretty mixed up. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that too, yeah. and I, I like seeing that diversity and um, sort of you know around your season and obviously um, Cook Islands before it was they were going down that path, yeah. but it's kind of slipping back into you know one or two in a season, which isn't that brilliant. Uh, thanks for that question, Dave. Now Nick Chester, one of our Oslets, uh, asks: Was it always your intention to take Yao Man to the end, even though there was a good chance you may have lost to him in the end? Like I uh, mentioned earlier. I always file my disclaimer, top five, every man for himself. To not be caught in those kind of positions. Uh, me and Yao Man did talk about going to the end, but like I said, when I told people top five, you can do whatever. And it was a tough decision going out Yao Man. If you remember, I don't even know how to edit. I stood there for a long time <laughs> before I wrote his name down. I, that, that, I can say that was one of the few times I really got emotional about Survivor. So as I said, I approached it as a business the whole time. Like, hey, you hire and you fire people. You just, and it's nothing personal. But that's when it's like, oh, man, him and I have been through a lot, you know. But this is like a million-dollar decision. Like, yes, I can say, okay, let's go to the end together and fight it out there. And I was mentally prepared, like, hey, I will state my case very, very well, like a lawyer. But it just made more sense. Like, hey, if I go with these other two, my chances of winning are a lot higher. And even Yao Man would have to respect that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, thanks, Nick, for that one. Now, a couple here, uh, we've actually got two Survivor contestants who have sent in something. Uh, Kobe Archer from Palau says uh, that you are so much hotter in real life than you are on TV. <laughs> Kobe said that. Yes. Oh, Kobe, Kobe's the best. He is so funny. He's such a cool, nice guy, and I respect him a lot. Especially, with, you know, he just adopted a new son. He I did. think I read that. And yep. he, he, he's amazing. Great guy, and I, I appreciate that, Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me laugh. Him and I have had some funny conversations, you know, seeing the different charity events and, and things like that. So, thank you. Kobe, I yes, thank you, Kobe. And also, uh, somebody from your own season messaged in, Earl Boo Burnus, uh, wants to ask you, why did you like Exile Island so much? <laughs> why did I like it? <laughs> I didn't like Exile Island at all. I know what Boo was referring to when he says that, so I'll give you another little nugget here. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Now, no one knows this but me and Boo. <laughs> so, I went to Exile Island four times, and I think it was either that third or fourth time, I think when I got there, the security people there started laughing because I was getting sent there so much. They thought it was funny. And one of them ended up talking to me one night, like, and we just became little friends and everything. And I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but it was like that third or fourth trip there to get me a little bit of rice. Ah. And I was starving. This was like day 36 or something. like. So, um, he gave me a little rice, like, in the middle of the night because he just felt bad for me. Wow. And Boo knows about that because I think Boo got sent to Exile Island, like, one last time. And the guy there thought that Boo was my friend or something like that. <laughs> and so I think they blew, like, a fish or something because he just felt bad. He was, like, he was a really nice Fijian man. And, you know, he was just a local guy. And he was just excited that we were there with cameras. And on Exile Island, was really just you and one producer and a security guy. Mm. That was it. Wow. So security guy there to make sure you don't wander off and die. Mm-hmm. They want to sure you don't touch that. Don't do that because like, they're locals. Mm-hmm. And so I had uh, talked to this guy and 
Uh, he was he was really cool. So it wasn't that I liked it, uh, and who just remembers that, that, that happened. He benefited from my conversation with this guy. <laughs> oh, that's great. But, that's yeah. uh, learning so much, loving it. Um, now, some of these questions have been answered, so I'll skip over those ones. Um, let's see here. Cindy Betts just wants to say, well, she says, ask you why. Uh, what's it like to be so awesome? <laughs> I... <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> um, I don't know. You have to ask Bob Dog that. I think he <laughs> rules awesomeness. I think he talks about being awesome all the time. <laughs> um, you, know, um, you know, hey, I try to just be the same guy I've always been. I'm still a guy from Kansas. Uh, stay humble, cool. You know, I appreciate somebody thinking I had an awesome game. And I try to be an awesome person all the time. You know, I try to do a lot of good things for the community, for people, and, and, and different things. So I always try to they being the, the cool guy that I am. I never changed mm-hmm. after winning. And, uh, yeah, so if that makes me awesome, hey, I'll take it. I'm awesome there. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great being awesome. Indeed, indeed, yes, <laughs> it is. Uh, now, Blue Bear, the one who asked the one about blood versus water, he also adds, um, is Anthony sure. the African-American version of Cochrane? <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. You know what? Anthony does not get the, the credit he should have gotten. He was a very smart guy. Uh, he really understood the game. He was a big Survivor fan ahead of time. So um, him and I connected pretty early on. Uh, we had lots of talks together. There was, if, I don't know if you interviewed Anthony. We have, we have. Him and I did some pretty amazing things and never got on camera. Like, if, if you ever talk to him again, ask him about the Roman aqueduct system that we built <laughs> in the middle of the night. Oh, you have to tell us about that now. Come on, Earl. Because... <laughs> There's a lot. I mean, I really treated Survivor like being on Gilligan's Island, mm-hmm. and you got to kind of be part Gilligan, part MacGyver. And when we would get tree mail, it would be in these like elaborate little packages with like it, it was just kind of like it had like sticks and tools and nails and stuff like that. And I was like, hey, we can take these things apart and make them into something where we can catch food. And so I started doing that, like taking little tree mail things apart and using it for stuff. Like I made like a fish trap <laughs> uh, to catch fish. And uh, we were, we had no water. I think this was day like seven or eight. And uh, it was no rain and we were just dehydrated. Him and I in the middle of the night built this aqueduct system to catch rainwater wow. out of palm trees and bamboo. It was like literally like being on Castaway with Tom Hanks. <laughs> like we built this whole elaborate system. It didn't make it on air, but we worked really hard and made the same. And that's how we got to know each other. We were talking about physics and science and TV and you know, we talking about anime. Like we were talking about all kinds of things that we were into. Uh, but, yeah, we, we built that, and that was something fun to do. Wow. And I'll tell you one more little because since you like this stuff, <laughs> there was a scene that wasn't on the show to where I went on this quest by myself. I asked everyone to go, like, hey, I think I see this mango tree two miles away on this cliff. <laughs> and no one wanted to go with me because <laughs> they were tired and, and hungry, and it was a long walk. And so I took on this quest by myself and I walked all the way. It was daylight, got to here to this tree on this cliff. And it was actually you know, being, it was the only mango tree on the island. Like we literally had no food, no fruit, nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I got a couple of mangoes and I was walking back. It was a long way. It was me and three camera people and it got dark. And the thing about getting dark on an island and you're not by your camp with no campfire, you can't see a Thing. <laughs> so we were lost 
for four hours. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so we were lost. No one knew where I was at on camp. They didn't know what happened. They didn't know if, like, I got injured. No one knew anything. And the cameraman turned the camera off because they were worried, too. <laughs> and we were going to call a helicopter to come get us. And we were like, no way. We're men. And we're going to figure this out. I was like, I'm going to take us through this jungle with this machete, and we're going to make it back. <laughs> And that's literally what we did. We went through the jungle with a machete, and I was just chopping stuff down. <laughs> and I said, we took this ravine, this dry ravine, and I made it all the way back to camp in the middle of the night. Everybody was wondering what the heck happened <laughs> to bring back these three tiny mangoes to share with nine other people. All this work I did. <laughs> and it never even made it on air. Uh, after all that. <laughs> After all of that, because it was, it was a pretty crazy, I thought it was going to be on air because when I got back, all the cameras were in my face like, wow, what was that like, that experience? And like, I said, it's pretty, like, you were lost for a while. I said, yeah, we couldn't see anything. There was no street lights. There's nothing like that. It was just pitch black in the jungle. And there's snakes and there's spiders. There were snakes everywhere, by the way. Mm. Spiders everywhere, all over Fiji. Wow. And so, uh yeah, so that that's something that happened to no one. Knows. Oh, I love hearing it. I love hearing it. I um, I can handle snakes, not spiders though. I hate spiders, but um, yeah, snakes are fine. But uh, I'm Australian. I meant to like them. Uh, thanks for that question. Uh, Johnny Acosta asks, "What was your long term goal with Michelle?" Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, Michelle was uh, like my like my little spy. Like she would give me information. No one knew we had an alliance. We would talk like early in the mornings while everybody was still asleep, and um. Uh, my goal was to take her as far as I could. You know, she had proven that she was somebody that I could trust, but, you know, but I'm sure she was using me as well. Like, hey, maybe you attach on to him and trust him and we'll go far. So my long-term goal was, hey, was to go as far as possible with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's rare when you find someone you can trust. And she, like I said, she had proven her loyalty and I proven my loyalty to her. And so when she surprisingly got voted out, because that's when they did, um, there was no, I think after they lost their challenge, they went straight to tribal council. Mm-hmm. And that was like crazy to all of us. Like, whoa, like we don't even get to talk about anything. And she got voted out. And I had no idea she was going to get voted out. I thought they were voting out Stacy. And then I saw Stacy coming back with the rest. And I was like, what the <laughs> hell happened? I was like, literally, like, what happened? <laughs> like, that just totally threw my whole alliance off. Mm. And so I had to like change everything around and, Try to figure out, okay, well, the train has to keep moving, so i got to replace it with somebody else. I felt bad because I really liked Michelle. She was really cool. Mm. And so my long-term goal was to go as far as I could with her. Um, but like I said, once you get to that money, people's game starts to change. <laughs> it's very true. Thanks, Johnny, for that one. Now I'll get a couple more because I said we've got our five ones ended. Uh, Azhar Diar, sorry, Azhar, if I've pronounced your name incorrectly, had the horseman taken control of the game, who would have you voted <laughs> for in an Alex Edgardo Mookie Final 3? Hmm. It, it depends on who had did what. Mm-hmm. I think at some point, I think it was either Alex or Mookie were more in... I probably would have favored Mookie a little bit more because he was on Rahu with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I respected Alex's game. Play. Alex was a great player. He was a great athletic guy, cool guy. Um, that would have been tough. It would depend on who made what moves to get rid of me or what happened. You know, because I'm all about, hey, I respect you. I'm not mad. I respect what you did. Whoever figured that out to get me out, I probably would have leaned towards them. Mm-hmm. So it, it wouldn't have been Edgardo because I think Edgardo uh, was more like um, – second tier to Alex. That's why we kind of targeted 
uh, Eduardo, because everybody thought we were going for Alex. So, yeah, it would be between those two. Mm. Alex. Okay. There's that what-if scenario again. Thanks for that question. Uh, now, Timothy Hayes, this is an interesting question. I, I don't know anything about this. Uh, I'm assuming you do. Uh, Timothy says, why didn't you mention your childhood illness on the show that prevented you from walking on your own? Oh, wow. Well, I guess that is out there in the public. So. <laughs> well, so I didn't um, even know that. I was like, what? Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, when I was uh, younger, I had this rare uh, bone disease called herpes disease and uh you know i was in, on crutches and wheelchair you know all that stuff i wasn't able to do a lot of things as a kid all the way up to like the age of 13 14 and uh, it, it, it was pretty tough childhood but i think from that is that experience is why survivor just wasn't as hard to me it's a hard game but i had already been through worse in life you know going through that as a kid you know all the x-rays and going to the hospital all the time and you know, all, all the stuff I had to do, I just, you know, I missed two years of school and couldn't play any sports. So I had to do a lot of things on my own. So I think I learned patience, perseverance. I learned all that stuff going through that experience. I didn't want to use that on the show because I didn't want that to be an excuse for anything. You know, I don't want people to feel sorry or look at me a certain way or think I was trying to use that for, you know, because I could have used it at the end. Like, hey, you know, I went through this whole game basically on one leg. And I'm here. You know, I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to just totally be respected for what I did and not any kind of sympathy or anything like that. So I didn't want to use that. I liked the fact that I could use the platform of Survivor to actually start talking about it. So when I got interviewed by People Magazine, I brought it up. And uh, they did a whole piece on it. And then I started a foundation. So I have that now. So there you go. And then I think it's better for the kids that, that have it now, that look up to me, that I didn't use that for anything. And I want them to that too. Don't use this disability to get favoritism or anything. Just you're still a normal person. Mm-hmm. Very good point. Thank you for that, Timothy. Uh, great question. A couple more because I've got a couple of just uh, uh, positive things that people want to say about you. Just on Final Tribal Council um, sort of mentioning that, Cody Ross asks, was there much nastiness in Final Tribal Council directed at you that we didn't get to see? No. No? Uh, there was. No, there wasn't anything um, directed towards me in a negative way. Like I said, I did not do anybody wrong. I did not stab anybody in the back. And I put myself in a position to where I didn't have to do that. I was always trying to play a kind of game to where I didn't have to do those type of things. I didn't, I didn't have to lie. I didn't have to cheat. And it was hard to be in that position, but that's what I did. So no one could really say anything to me, say like, oh, you didn't work hard enough or you didn't do this. Like, no. I played a certain game that they had to respect. You know, they, they had to, you know, and um, that's why they didn't have anything negative going to me. I was surprised on how hard they were on Cassandra, but I expected them to be hard on dreams after that. I said, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. So I expected that. And, um, but I also knew I'm still playing against a jury. I'm still playing against people with emotions. And I knew I had to say certain things in order to get their vote. And so I did that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and it turned out to be the first unanimous vote. Now, just also, again, on the final Tribal Council, Paul Carby um, asks, who would you give that sort of, quote, Vetus vote in your season? So, in other words, who would you want to get just a throwaway vote to help them get second position? Because I think Vetus came out during the week and admitted that everyone knew they were going to vote for Tyson, but he voted for Monica just to make sure she would get second. So, would you want Cassandra or Dreams to sort of get a, a throwaway? Wait, wait. Wait, who said what? Wait, you saying 
Oh, you're saying that that Vetus vote was so Monica could get second? Yeah, Vetus admitted, came out and admitted and said that um, basically the, the vibe on the jury, everyone knew that Tyson was going to get their vote, but Vetus uh, voted for Monica to make sure she got second and obviously a little bit more prize money in the end. Well, that's not even logical because if you don't vote for her, she still gets second because then it would be like it was with my season where both Cassandra and James came in second because they got zero votes. Very true. So maybe, so maybe it was preventative these, so Jervis didn't get the money. I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it would seem like it was more against Jervis. Yeah. You know, that's what it like because... It wouldn't give. I mean, she got second regardless. Mm-hmm. I mean, it changed the the money situation, but for the place she's in, that, that doesn't change anything. Mm. Well, yeah, that's that's so, true. Actually, I didn't think about that way. Uh, I would probably, out of just gamesmanship, gave one to Dream. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's yeah. that's um, well, it's it's. That's, that's a good point. I mean, it's sort of a similar way that I know on um, Heroes Villains, the jury didn't want Russell to get second, so they uh, made sure that he didn't get any votes at all. So uh, that's sort of on the flip yeah, side. Um, yeah, I, I didn't see that whole season. And forgive me, like, a lot of things are like, I just don't have time to watch a lot of the seasons. Like I said, and, it, and it's a difficult position to watch Survivor sometimes when you've been on it, when you know you don't know everything that happens. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to judge. But that particular season where Russell lost, I really thought he should have won. Mm-hmm. But I do understand the social elements. Like I keep saying, I can't express enough the importance of you still got to have people like you. You know, if you are arrogant or, or, or if you just get too cocky or something like that, I think Jervis did that a couple of times. It kind of he shot himself in the foot because people don't forget. They don't forget when you gloat and they don't like that. You call them a loser. They, they remember those type of things. So you got to always be respectful because this is a game. This is like people take this very serious. It has to do with money, it's their time, and I, I get it. You know, I, I get how how that is. So with the Russell thing, I still thought he probably should have won. But hey, you got to respect Natalie for making it to the end as well, exactly, and not pissing everybody off like Russell did. <laughs> yes, you know, and I thought that second time around when Russell made it, I said, hey, maybe he learned something. <laughs> But he didn't. <laughs> you piss off enough enough people, like they will vote against you, even if they respect what you did. Like they just might not like you. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah. Uh, now, quickly, Adam Colodney actually asks: uh, Were you surprised in the first episode that uh, the edit had no trace or sign of the secret African American alliance? <laughs> okay, that was no secret, <laughs> and that was not just. African American. I think everybody had an alliance. There was a Latin American alliance. There was an Asian American alliance. I think the season before that, I mean, that's with Yule, Yule and Becky. I think they had a, a Korean alliance. Yep. I mean, that happens with everybody. You kind of find people that you can identify with in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's ethnicity. Sometimes that, that might be where you're from or what school you went to. It can be many things. So that was something like a loose alliance we put together. The goal was like, hey, let's make up for how the season before that happened, like it seemed like they were kind of disarray, mm-hmm. African-American tribe. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that we had a tribe. It was like, okay, we have an equal amount of ethnicities out here. And, hey, you're black, I'm black. We can at least have a loose alliance. And the same thing with the Latin. They were like, hey, you speak Spanish, I speak Spanish. There was a lot of Spanish being talked <laughs> off on that season. And so it, it wasn't a secret. It wasn't a big deal. It didn't even do anything. It didn't even mean anything. It just happened to work out that way towards the end. And I think that kind of helped us bond a little bit more because we knew that this is something that had never really happened. Yeah. 
with this and many African Americans towards the end. So yeah, we we kept that in mind towards the end for sure. Mm. It was great to see that. Actually. But we still do it based on respect of other people. Like if somebody was just a bad guy or a bad person or just was a terrible player, you're not going to keep them in, in your alliance just because of their ethnicity. Like that would just be foolish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like I told you. When, was a point I didn't trust dreams, and I was been ready to get rid of dreams because I wasn't sure I could trust them. <laughs> yes, well, it makes sense. You got to trust them in order in a game like Survivor. And it's funny you mentioned that the sort of all the Spanish being spoken. We had our uh, Christmas episode yesterday, and we had Lisi and Rita on at the same time, and uh, they they spoke a bit of Spanish live on air too. There, Earl. So uh, look, I I heard a bit of it. It was fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it makes it fun. I think it's nothing. I think it's great that Survivor you know, started getting a lot more diversity and, and different things. And they had to try something new every season. I mean, that's a lot of work because I give them credit for at least trying different things. And people get so mad at these return players. Like, I get it where they can have some return players. You know, I, I do understand, but I, I do like the newbies too. Like, hey, try some new people. You know, give us give give some, some more thoughts. You know, but it's about rating. Indeed. So. Well, we're going to see uh, all newbies return next season, which is great. Getting into these five questions now, Earl, we wrap up every interview with these. These are all opinion-based questions. There are no right or wrong answers. This is entirely your thoughts and in the mind of Earl Cole. And the first question, what are three things that you learnt about Jeff Probst during your time on Survivor? Jeff Probst is good at what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, should be, you know, after 27 seasons. Um, I learned that, like I said, I didn't really know who Jeff Probst was until like the first couple of days. Like, okay, I get what he does. I mean, it's a pretty difficult job. I respect the fact that he does all of this really. I mean, he's so used to doing it. Like, no scripts, no nothing. Even though those tribal councils will last like an hour, sometimes two hours, and you only see like 10 minutes of it, Jeff is so spot on with his questioning and, and rewording things. Like, he'll say, wait, stop. And he asks it a different way. Like, he'll do that. Like, he's just really good at what he does. And I also learned that I don't think Jeff Probst, if he played the game, he would win. I don't think he could do it. And I think he knows that, too. Mm-hmm. I think the person Jeff Probst is, he could not play Survivor. We used to ask that question, actually. I used to, That used to be one of our final questions. It was, um, you know, if Jeff Probst was to play, how far do you think he would go? He would do okay. I think he would do okay. Um, you know, he's not a big guy, but I think he's strong-willed. And, you know, I, you know, me and Jeff are both from Kansas, so I got to like root for Jeff anyway. <laughs> um, but I, I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, if, if he could, if he would be a really good dynamic player. I think he's too. Um, how do I say? I know he's a, a, a great thinker and, and smart and, and nice guy, but he's not zany enough to be entertaining. That's more what I want to say. He wouldn't be very entertaining because he would be, I think, more of a strategic guy and would just do what's necessary to get along. He wouldn't do anything crazy or outlandish. That's, that doesn't seem like who he is. I don't know him personally, but he doesn't seem like that. Mm. But he's super nice guy. Yeah. Super nice guy. Yeah, looking forward to getting him on the show one day. Question number two, Earl. Now, out of uh, all the seasons that you have seen, what has been your favorite and least favorite season of Survivor? I'm sure most people say, my favorite season is my own. <laughs> I mean, of course, you don't your favorite season because you have your direct experience. So um, I haven't seen that many seasons all the way through. Um, I would say my least favorite was Redemption Island. Mm-hmm. I think that's the one. Yeah, I, I just didn't like that whole concept of that second chance like that. Yep. 
And is that the scene where Boss and Rob won? It is indeed, yes. Yeah, I I didn't like that. That's probably the one I least like. I mean, we got some pretty cool characters off there, like Philip. I think he's a a funny guy. Uh, But I think that was my least favorite season was that Mm -hmm. that one. Mm -hmm. And my favorite, um, of course, besides my own, I would say, uh, I guess I enjoyed Heroes vs. Villains. Mm -hmm. I think that was fun. Um, there's a few of them. You know, I like them for different reasons. I mean, you can find something cool about every season. Indeed, yeah. There's some funny character, or some crazy move that happens, or some unique tribal council that happens that makes it entertaining. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. Absolutely. And um, glad that you sort of gave one out. I mean, we let people answer their own seasons, Earl, but uh, we like to hear a bit more outside there. Now, question number three. As a married man, it might be difficult for you to answer this one. I don't know. Who to you is the sexiest ever contestant? Oh, wow. It's, how many contestants have been on Survivor? 406. <laughs> there, to be honest, there are many seasons I have not seen at all. So I couldn't even tell you that. But based on the seasons that I've seen, mm-hmm. uh, it's a talk of with many. I mean, I think Brenda Lowe, you know, cute girl. Um, what's her name? Chelsea? Yes. Somebody? Yes. From One World. Uh, Chelsea. Yeah, cute girl. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I, it, it's so many of them. And, and, they, and they come in all shapes and sizes and colors and creeds. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that, that's, that's like... Maybe my favorite child. <laughs> I can't really do it. You know, I, there's no disrespect to any of the women. You're all beautiful. You know? well, and for any woman to do Survivor, to go on that show, to not shave your underarms and your legs, and not be taking a shower and your hair getting dirty, I give them much respect. Yes. You know, to, to do that. That takes a unique one to do that. A lot of people think they can do it, but that's really tough. And you learn that from day three. If you can handle surviving, mm-hmm. a lot of people can't. Yeah, day three, very true. That's one thing I always say. Like, I love the game, absolutely love all the strategic side and all the challenges and that. But I know I would be terrible at it, Earl, because I would within a day not be able to cope with sleeping on the ground and having bugs crawl over me and all that sort of stuff. In a day, one day, I'll give you at least three. <laughs> okay, and that's what. Because you really go against the elements, like, uh, you know, sorry, I actually, I haven't talked about this in a while, so that's why I'm saying so much. <laughs> so I probably won't do another interview for another five yes. years. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, I think, um, gosh, what was I even going to say about this? Just to do, to do this show, it just takes, it takes a lot. And you go through the, the deal with the element is a lot unbearable than people think. Like, they get mad when people quit. Like, I don't respect when people like Hobie quit. Like, oh, this is too hard. Like, oh, what is now Colton? I'm sorry, I think Colton. Like, oh, this is too hard. Yeah, I don't respect that. But I do understand, like, when some women, when it's been raining for a week and it's freezing cold, freezing cold, and they just can't take it. You know, when you weigh 110 pounds and it's cold rain and you have no shelter, I get it when some girls just can't handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. I get it. Like, I'm not saying quit, but I can understand, like, all right, they're on their third day of freezing. They're on their fourth day of freezing. And they get to the point, like, I just can't do it, like, because they worry about their own health. I get it. Like, like Mayonka. Yep. When she quit, like, I, I, she's a cool, cool girl, strong girl, but when you're freezing like that, yeah, some girls can handle it better than others. But I, I see how it can happen. The, the elements are hard. Like, people don't know how we had to deal with mosquitoes to the point where it was just unbelievable, like 30, 40 bites a night. Like, I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. 
30 or 40 mosquito bites a night. Like, we would hear it all night, like, like all night long. They were just tearing us apart. Dealing with that, dealing with 118 degrees or what sometimes we were doing those challenges. No water, sleeping on the dirt, and we had fire ants as well on the dirt with spiders. That's how Gary got evacuated because he got attacked by ants. Mm-hmm. So you don't even see that kind of stuff on TV, but that's what we're dealing with. Oh, yeah, we had to play this game called Survivor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's it's, so it's an insane yeah, situation. Yeah. Mm, it's a very interesting. So we, any other questions, just let me know. Like I said, I'm, I'll lay it all out. There oh, look, look. You know, we, there's plenty we could go <laughs> on about. I, I, I've got to get to uh, uh, these uh, last couple, though. Uh, question number four. Who to you out of all the players, well, again, from what you have seen, I should say, uh, is the greatest player never to have won? The greatest player to never have won? Um, probably Amanda. Mm, yes. You know, um, she, <laughs> I think she was on her three times. Yep. She on her three times, and I know she got to the end twice, yes. or at least she got to the end like all three times. She got to the end twice. And I, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, I don't know why she didn't win sometimes. Some people, it just comes down to like, when somebody's on a fence, you better deliver a great jury speech. And I know that's hard to say, because like I said, like, not everybody's great at commentating or narrating or getting their point across smoothly. And, or you do the wrong things, not understanding your jury. Like, you really have to say what that particular jury needs to hear. And maybe that's some of the mistakes she made, but I think she's one of the greatest players that didn't, that didn't win. Because mm-hmm. she, you know, she's a tough, tough girl. Yep. I agree with you. And, um, yeah, she, she held for so long, so many records. You know, she was like the first player to sort of reach a certain amount of days without never being voted out. And, um, you know, I mean, she didn't get voted out of the game until a third time around, uh, when she made the jury on Heroes Villains. So, uh, yeah, she, she, she's, um, one of the, one of the greats. She's in the Survivor Hall of Fame, uh, which, uh, I'm sure you'll be shooting to get into one year, perhaps, Earl. Uh, it, it really makes me no difference about the Hall of Fame. I, I, I thought it was kind of humorous when they first started at a Hall of Fame. <laughs> I said, I don't, is that even possible for a show like Survivor or anything like that? Because I noticed that the people that get in the Hall of Fame are people that have been on there more than once. Mm. So it's kind of like, like I said, this is from a producer standpoint. It's kind of like a marketing tool like, to keep Survivor kind of like going and, and hyped up. Like the, their selections, like I don't even know all the people that are in it, but it seems like it leans toward people to be on there more than once. Yeah, yeah. Got wrong. But it's kind of hard to say, oh, you're in the Hall of Fame. It's not like you're like a sports player, like you get in the Hall of Fame because of your records and you've played all these games and your body of work matters. Mm. Like a show like every, you're normally on, on there only once. So it's hard to like say, hey, I'm a Hall of Famer. Yes, well. So I, I don't know. I, well, I was just going to say, there's only one one-time player in it, and she was only inducted uh, this year. Kim Spradlin, who won uh, 10 seasons after you in one world. She's the only player in the Hall of Fame that's oh, right. played once. So, uh, you know, that, that yeah, is and, damning. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and just think, like, okay, well, what's the criteria to being in the Hall of Fame? Man? Like, it seemed like it's kind of all over the place. So that's the case. Yeah, it is. Like, what would her be uh, in there over anybody else who played once? Mm-hmm. It's, it caused about a lot oh, of people well, debating about it, this whole last month or so i mean we have our own award show uh every uh every year earl called the oscars it's very original um and uh, we have a wide variety of categories but we're actually um next month we're going to be doing a a big month-long poll where we're going to get people to vote for uh who they think are the top 25 best one-time players sort of on that theme so uh i'll keep you updated to where you perhaps end uh in that top 25 earl 
Hey, that, that, that it would be an honor. <laughs> you know, it, it would be great. You know, I, I, I like the fact that, you know, people, you know, like respect the, the game I play or what they were able to see or however they view it. And I respect all the winners. Like I said, winning Survivor is very hard. It's really, really hard, especially that first time around where you kind of like making it up as you go. So two or three times, like, okay, it should be easier. Oh, that's, you know, that was the point I was going to make about a re- return players with newbies. I always kind of unfair, you know, and every time they do that, the return players are always the ones that make it to the end. So why even do it? Like, what is your perspective on that? I agree. Return players. I do. I do. It's really unfair. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a big, I love returning player seasons that are all returning player seasons. We've only seen it twice, but I, I agree with you completely, particularly when it's it's not even half and half. So like, you know, a Philippines where it's 15 new people against three returning players or, you know, Redemption Island that we spoke about. Every season that has featured new players versus returning players, at least one returning player has always made it to the end. So it's, it is, it's extremely... It, it can be seen as extremely unfair because of the advantages that they obviously have. Yeah. I mean, I, I think even one of the players mentioned it before, it's like when you go on Survivor the first time, it's like the point I told you, the aspect of the elements, getting a, you know, acclimated to where you are, uh, the starvation, the dehydration, like that's part of what you deal with that first time around. It kind of interrupts your gameplay. But when you've done that, you know what to expect. All you got to worry about is just playing. And you know what to do, who to line with. I mean, you already get most return players already know each other, have met each other, so it makes it even easier. Or you know about them. When it's all new, you don't know how, what, who plays what kind of game. You don't know anything. I think that's kind of exciting, and that's why these return players just kick their butt. Like, like I think it was the last season, the season before that. It's like, oh, it was this this past season when that tribe had never been there, they were making all kind of mistakes. Just. They're stupid mistakes, but that's because they didn't know. Well, the return players, oh, man, they knew exactly what to do. Conserve the energy here. Do this there. The puzzle is always the equalizer. It doesn't matter how fast you run for the physical part. You get to that puzzle, that is the equalizer. So take your time, then get to that puzzle, do it right. Yeah, well, it's it's very, very interesting. I think on Plot vs. Water, we spoke a lot throughout the season, that out of all the sort of newbie versus returning player seasons we've had, you'd expect the uh, the new players on Blood vs. Water to have a better grasp on the game, considering their loved ones or husbands or daughters or mothers had played the game. Um, so you'd think they'd talk about it a little bit more um, outside of the game. This is how I won Survivor. This is how I played Survivor. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that can only help to a point. It's like you—it's it's like being a veteran player in any sport. Like you just get better and better because you've seen these situations so many times. You know how to react to them quicker than someone that's new to it, like a rookie. Like they don't know. Like they're really just making emotional decisions or what they think might be smart or a good move, and not have a clue. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it's very interesting. Survivors and it's like playing chess and poker at the same time. Yeah. Exactly. While you do that, you know. Exactly. Having spiders and everything crawl over you at the same time. Now, the second last question. Every single winner I've ever asked this question to, Earl, will generally give the same answer. You kind of already gave an answer to this question a few minutes ago, so I'm pretty certain I know how you will answer this. Out of all... Shake it up, Ben. <laughs> Shake it up for me, Earl. Shake it up. Out of all the winners... In the history of Survivor, you can even include yourself if you really want to. Uh, who is your least favorite winner? Least favorite winner? Mm. 
and not them as a person, but just. It can be you any criteria. I mean, we, we the question we used to ask was who do who do you think um, was least deserving? Who was the least deserving winner? But we changed that because uh, yeah, that's that yeah, saying least deserving because yeah. everybody that wins deserves exactly. to win because they made it to me. We were getting that answer all the time, uh, so we changed it to more of an opinion based one. You know, least least favorite. I mean, it could be for any reason. It can be for how they played uh, outside. I, it's up to you. Yeah, I mean, there's so many elements involved with. Uh, Winning, but I, I would say, which I'm sure a lot of people say, I think the least favorite season, not that anything against the person, but against that particular type of win, will probably be Boston Rob. Because four times on there, and then it just so happens that Cassidy had with more like followers, <laughs> and much respect to his gameplay, but when you're a return player, especially four times, it's like maybe you're playing against children at that point. Like, they have not a clue what to do, and they're going to have to follow what you do. Mm-hmm. And four times on there, that's a lot. It is. Like, better win at that point. If you don't win at the four times, then that's just your fault. <laughs> poor so poor guess, Rupert. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's great that he, he won, but, you know, I don't think anybody gives him as much credit for being on there for the fourth time, yeah. you know, win. You know, it could have been a different season. Like, I mean, who knows, like, I think it became out of luck, too. Like, if Russell would have ended up on the other team and he would have been who knows how that even would have turned out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's a, it's a big talking point with that, and uh, often a lot of people debate about that. Final question for you today, Earl Cole. You can answer this yourself. You answer yourself for this one, Earl. Uh, some people do, um, and I, I have nothing against it. Who to you is the greatest ever player in the history of Survivor and why? Well, I'm sure most people just say Richard Hatch. Well, because uh, that is... Be- and that's, well, I'm to me, that's the easy answer. Or the second would be Sandra because she won twice. Yep. That's another easy answer. Yep. Uh, um, but I see why people say either one of those. Mm-hmm. It's tough to answer that because I've said for many years that there is no greatest player. It can't, it can't, it's not even possible to be a greatest player because every season is different. You throw me on another season, I might not win. You throw another winner on a different season, they might not win. It depends on what happens. And every win is different. So I, I really, in fairness, I, I really can't even name anybody. I, the safe bet is to always say Richard Hatch because that's when no one had a clue mm-hmm. what Survivor was. Mm-hmm. And so to develop, I mean, not saying that it wouldn't happen with another season or another character, like to develop alliances and doing things like that, you know, much respect to Win, Even walking around naked, making himself a character, you know, he just understood all of that. So you got to give him respect as being the first person to win. But, you know, the game ended up changing and doing different things. You know, what was her name? Rob Cisneiro? I forgot. <laughs> you know, the way he played the game, which was great. That was another involvement of strategy in the game. You know, then you get physical people like Terry Deep. Yes, that's it. Her name. Yeah. yeah, you got people that start doing the, the domination of challenges. I mean, there's so many different things. He didn't win, but there's so many. You, you just see how it, the game can just change and evolve through every season. And so it's hard to say who's the greatest winner. I say safe bet will say is Richard Hatch. Second safe bet is say, you know, Sandra. Third bet, I, I will say myself. Go on then. How about Good. that? Good. I, I wanted you to <laughs> say it, Earl. Come on. <laughs> I mean, it's just hard for me to say it. It's like, cause, you know, like, a part of it's luck, part of it's strategy, part of it's, it's so many different things. And saying the greatest of all time, I, I can't say that about anybody. A great win for my season, maybe a couple of seasons. Like, hey, that's great. I think even Todd did a great yes. job on his season. Yes. Yeah, man. 
you know, he was the first one before Cochrane to be a fan of the show exactly. and actually go in there and win. He did it the first time around. Mm -hmm. It was great. Yep. Completely agree there. I am a huge admirer of Todd's game. And uh, another one like yourself, uh, Earl, who I think needs to get more love and uh, perhaps even a, another crack at it, uh, depending on how you want to look at it. I have to say, though, Earl, uh, has been an absolute pleasure getting this done, and it's been a, a, a huge interview. I, I'd probably say that uh, right now, based on uh, how long it's gone, I think this has been our longest interview we've ever done in the history of Survivor Oz, which is a great thing. So I want to just give you a, a little clap for uh, managing to, to last this long with me, because it's no mean feat. Now you say, oh, that guy Earl is blabbing on and on and on and on. And you know, having a four-hour interview, like, jeez, this guy shut up. Like, no, I just wanted to make sure I just gave you enough information. I know it's been a while. Uh, I know I, I think you contacted me maybe a year or two ago, and I, I gave you my word that I'll give you an interview, and I'm glad I was able to close out this year with uh, an interview of 2013, and I hope I gave you enough information, enough insights. I'll try to tell you as much as I could, and and be fair and open and honest. I mean, of course, there's some things I, I, I can't say, <laughs> but I did tell you both stuff and some things you didn't know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I definitely appreciate you um, asking me to do this interview. And it was, it was fun. You had some great questions, and, you know, you seem to have a great show and a great understanding of the game. So I hope to see you on there one day, Ben. Yes, yes. I see you on there. <laughs> I, I, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> the Australian version of... Survivor. Why can't we get? Why can't we see you? Well, this is the thing because they haven't had one since they first did it. That was uh, what was that now? Oh, really? Thirteen? No, eleven years ago. Um, yeah, it was terrible. Can I just say that? Um, it's on YouTube if you ever got the time and you wanted to sit through it. Uh, just type for Australian Survivor. The, the basically it all. It all came down to this one guy who I remember reading in everything that happened beforehand. Basically, everyone predicted this guy to win. Everyone knew he was going to win, and he won. Um, so that, that's bad editing and bad production. <laughs> you know, you got to be a really good producer to make it people guess for several episodes. Like you just, just had to guess who was going to win. And it's funny when, when I was in. Um, in another country, I didn't know that there was a French survivor. I just happened to be looking at TV and everybody was speaking French. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know they had one in France. <laughs> so they have it in different countries. I learned that. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's, just, I mean, it's a great concept. I mean, survivor is a fantastic concept. It, it, you really learn about a lot about yourself as a person. You know, you got to dig deep, like uh, <laughs> Jeff always said. Because <laughs> yes. you really do. I mean, you really got to dig deep inside. Whether you're going to like what you dig up, <laughs> it's going to be up to you. Exactly, exactly. Well, mate, seriously, great pleasure. Thank you for your time. And look, who knows, in the future, we might even get you back on again. Uh, we could do an episode recap or something. Uh, you know, you gave such a great sure. time first time around. But uh, look, you know, I'm sure we will remain in contact and uh, potentially get you back on again in the future. Uh, my pleasure, Dan. Thank you very much for having me. And an absolute pleasure that was to speak to earlier, and a huge thank you for his time. Officially, the longest interview in the history of Survivor Oz, eclipsing John Carroll's record, and a fantastic way to end the year of 2013. So much learnt throughout that episode, and uh, I'm never going to watch Fiji the same way, I think. And Earl has definitely gained my respect even more in terms of his win in the uh, history of Survivor. A fantastic player of the game, indeed, and we need to see him back. I thoroughly 
believe that. If you're a fan of Fiji, as you heard at the top, we have interviewed lots of people from this season. Now we've interviewed every single body, uh, every single person, I should say, from the final tribal council. Dreams and Cassandra have been interviewed. Yao Man, of course, throughout his many appearances. Boo has been on the show. Sylvia, Anthony, Alex. There's tons of Fiji contestants to whet your appetite. SurvivorOz.com. Click on the interview section and scroll down to Fiji. Or you can, of course, just click on the Fiji section under Seasons at the top of the page. Uh, and just search for Survivor Fiji on our website if that makes it easier. Subscribe to us on iTunes. That makes it easier to get these interviews and episodes direct to your computer or your portable device so you'd never miss one along the way. And, of course, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter to stay up to date with all the latest information. This is officially the last interview of 2013, guys. Thank you very much for your time throughout this year. Stay tuned. We've got a Best of Survivor Oz 2013 episode coming your way next week, and you can relive all the action from every single episode throughout the show from a huge year. Interviews will be back next year. We've got some big ones lined up, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, my name has been Ben. This has been Survivor Oz, the tribe has spoken, and we'll speak to you next time on the trains. And a great time that was with Earl several years ago now, and sadly never been able to get Earl back on the show. I've uh, been in communication with him plenty of times and just never been able to knuckle down a time. So uh, fingers crossed, particularly in next year's all-winners season, that we might be able to get Earl back on the show for some more insights as well. And... Uh, Big thanks to Earl for appearing on Survivor Oz all those years ago. Uh, we hope you're enjoying the Flashback Friday segment. I definitely know we're enjoying bringing it to you and looking at some of the listener numbers that these episodes are getting. We can see that you are enjoying them. And a wide diversity, too, of people listening to them. It's not often we go over stats and things. I'm a bit of a stats man, as I've mentioned plenty of times on the show. And uh, just looking here at the numbers, we've got to see you listening in the US, in Australia, Canada, the UK, Ireland, New Zealand, Germany, Spain, India, and Malaysia as well, getting some listenership based there as well so uh, shout out to all those countries and also to everybody else listening around the world as well we always do appreciate uh, you tuning in and as always of course we would always love to hear from you please send us a message shoot us a text on Facebook I guess it's not really a text it's a message isn't it um, you can shoot us a text we just don't really have a public number that we give out um, and leave us feedback we really obviously would appreciate feedback left on our podcasting platforms, iTunes in particular, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, all these relevant ones out there. If you do like listening to the show, we do want to hear from you. And we've got some exciting things coming up that we believe you will get very excited about. So uh, we appreciate your support, whether it be because you're a Survivor fan and you've been a long-term listener since Survivor Oz and are enjoying these flashbacks down memory lane, you enjoy our other content, or a bit of both. We obviously appreciate you tuning in. And for the Survivor fans as well, I will mention, of course, tomorrow I will be sitting down and chatting um, with an Australian Survivor contestant, well, at least uh, the from the last few seasons of Australian Survivor, uh, Matt, uh, Matt Dyson. And Matt will be coming on to talk a little bit about his season, a little bit about the state of Australian Survivor, a little bit state of normal survivor when i say normal survivor i mean a u.s survivor and just a, an open-ended chat really similar to some of the survivor episodes we've been doing in the last few weeks uh here on the show in the lead up obviously during the off season as we get ourselves back into a bit of the survivor themed episodes uh throughout the season so if you've got any questions for matt you haven't sent any in by all means head to our facebook page we put a post up a couple of days ago you can comment to that post you can email us at the oz network at hotmail.com head to the oz network.net click on the contact us page send us some questions in there or send a carrier pigeon to knock on my door and be like, sup, I've got a question for Matt. I'll be like, cool, thanks, cheers, bugger off pigeon. Um, 
pretty easy, really. That's how you generally do it. So uh, looking forward to bringing that. That will air on Sunday, and uh, we, of course, will uh, keep you posted when we post it. That's generally how it works. Uh, but thanks for tuning in to Flashback Friday. We'll put up a poll again tomorrow for you to choose between a couple of other ones as well. So uh, stay tuned for that and have your say who you want to hear. And in the meantime, thanks for tuning in to the Oz Network. My name is Ben. We'll speak to you next time. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.